Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. It is exactly noon in downtown Indianapolis, and the Indianapolis Colts have a head coach. The search is over. Jimmy Cook, very good music. DriveHubler.com studio. I'm Brendan King. Joining us on a Tuesday, our guy, Derek Schultz. What's up, Schultz? Hello. 36 days, guys. 14 candidates. 13 of those were interviewed. I believe there were eight finalists, 21 total interviews, and this from Zach Kiefer because I was not going to do the math in my head here. (laughs) 132 hours spent with each one of the candidates. It is finally over, guys. About, what, 10 minutes from now? We're going to put this in stone here as Shane Steichen, the new head coach of the Colts. See, you're the administrator out of all of us, so I figure you would be the math guy. <laughs> Jimmy and I are not administrators. I'm but, definitely not the math guy, but it's it's a relief. Like, celebration is the perfect choice for Jimmy to come into here because I think it's celebratory, it's optimism. With all the doom and gloom guys that we've had with this football team, certainly over the last year, but really this has been an eight-year slog. I mean, the, yeah. the Colts have been in Nowheresville for eight years. They've won one playoff game during that time. They've won the division zero times during that time. Now is the time to kind of turn the page, put 2022 officially behind us. Thank God. Let's never talk about that season again and move on to something new and have hope again about this franchise moving forward. Yeah, Shane Steichen, the new head coach of the Indianapolis Colts. He's going to be introduced here in the next 14 minutes or so. We're going to carry that directly here on the fan, so you'll get to hear from Shane Steichen. You'll hear from Jim Ursay. You'll hear from Chris Ballard and Schultz. I would imagine the morale and the mood of this press conference and probably Chris Ballard's body language is going to be a little happier than the Jeff Saturday press conference. Oh, God. Agree? Yeah, you talk about something else that I just I never want to speak of or hear of again. <laughs> that press conference smack dab in the middle of that season where Ursay is basically yelling at everybody about how smart he is and how dumb everyone else is and Boward sitting there pouting in the corner and poor Jeff Saturday. That, you know, I, I felt really I bad really for bad Jeff for Saturday him. with that introductory press conference the way that it was. No, it, like I said, guys, time to turn the page and maybe get happy and hopeful about this Colts team again. Um, we have no idea what Shane Steichen is going to bring. It, it's really hard to determine who's going to hit because – you know, I, I kind of said this last night, Jake Query, who's the morning host, and, and I still do like this little once a week show. And I, I said this on, on our show last night, but like Matt Nagy, I was convinced Matt Nagy is a gifted offensive mind. He's going to be unbelievable as an NFL head coach, right? What he washed out in four years, five years, whatever it was. Frank Reich, I thought was going to be here for 15 years. I thought Frank Reich was going to be a Tony Dungy level head coach here where he's like becomes almost part of the brand of the franchise and of course things went a little bit better for Reich than they did for Nagy but they they didn't end up working that way whereas Nick Sirianni looked like he wanted to be anywhere else on the planet than his introductory (laughs) press conference and in year two he's in the Super Bowl right so you don't really know what these guys are going to be but Brendan, when you look at Steichen's track record, the quarterbacks that he's worked with, the respect that he has around the league, the fact that he's only 37 years old, I think there's a lot to like. I think so, too. I will say, Derek, if I'm being 100% honest, I get a little scared just that they're taking the same route as the Frank Reich hire. 
Shane Steichen was the quarterback's coach, then offensive coordinator with the Chargers, where he worked very well with Phillip Rivers and Justin Herbert. Then, of course, he did what he did with Jalen Hurts. But you're kind of recycling exactly what you just got rid of. So will that leave a sour taste in some mouths? Maybe. But this should be a celebratory day in this city when you look at there's finally some positivity on this side of the road, Schultz. Yeah, absolutely. And, guys, we haven't met Shane Steichen yet, right? I don't know anything about we're him personality-wise. We're, we're about to meet him. So I, I don't know how he carries himself in the locker room. I don't know what he says behind closed doors. We knew what Frank Reich was. Frank Reich was kind of that Caldwell Dungy type guy, not really like a f- fire everybody up, um, yell at guys behind closed doors kind of guy. So Frank I don't Reich know never got under a guy. But yeah, I, not I, once. I, I don't know what Steichen's going to be there, but Maybe I'm the wrong person to ask because I was a Frank Reich apologist for all five years that he was here. I think there's an alternate universe where Frank Reich is a big success as the Colts head Has coach. I, I think there there is a lot that went wrong during the Reich era that had nothing to do with Frank Reich. And I think we saw that with the way that his team finished last season as the worst team in the league. By the end of the year, they were the worst team in the NFL. And they weren't under Frank Reich, even though obviously they were a bad team. But I still think a lot of this is still yet to be determined because personality-wise, we don't know who Shane Steichen is yet. We will know who Shane Steichen is in a matter of minutes. Again, we are going to carry the press conference right here on 107.5 The Fan. Shane Steichen, the new head coach of the Indianapolis Colts. He'll be with Chris Ballard. He'll be with Jim Irsay. I'm sure you're going to get plenty of insight from our very own Kevin Bowen on Twitter. Give him a follow at KBowen1070. KB is going to cover that press conference. Of course, you'll hear him in the morning. But myself, Brendan King with Derek Schultz and Jimmy Cook, we are covering the hire of Shane Steichen. The Colts have a new head coach. You will hear from him next right here on 107.5 The Fan. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Welcome back to the Midday Show. Alongside Brandon King, I'm Derek Schultz. Jimmy Cook here as well, getting you set for the Colts introducing their brand new head coach, Shane Steichen, coming up here any moment. Officially, or tentatively, I guess, should say scheduled for 12:15. we know how this stuff goes sometimes they're arranging chairs or arranging buffet spreads for the media that are assembled there um i did find this interesting though bk gus bradley is there also there a guy who technically competed with if you want to look at it that way shane steichen for the job he was part of the candidate list and part of the interview list bubba ventrone is there so if we're going to jump to conclusions here, I think it's pretty obvious that the, the Colts wanted to retain Gus Bradley and probably a good chunk of his defensive staff is going to come with him. But Ventrone is another guy that sort of became a household name and a star because of the hard knock stuff from the 2021 season. I think it's encouraging that the Colts want to keep, I guess, some continuity. But you said that you were a little apprehensive about doing too much like they did with the Reich situation. So is this maybe a bad decision for the Colts instead of just ripping the Band-Aid off and going completely clean with the coaching staff. It leaves a bit of a sour taste in my mouth with the Bradley thing, not because of him per se, but just of how things went. They need a bit of a change. And the biggest comeback in NFL history, I don't think that's necessarily all on Bradley's shoulders. I don't think the Cowboys collapse is all on his shoulders, but I don't know. It's really going to depend on what we hear from Shane Steichen at the end of the day because as you just said we don't know him 
truly he has the same resume as Frank Reich minus the Super Bowl win coming into Indianapolis. But maybe he's a completely different guy. But I think what Mike Chappell has said often on this show when he has been on, Schulte, is you got to remember Shane Steichen's not bringing Jalen Hurts with him. He's not bringing A.J. Brown with him. He's not bringing Miles Sanders with him. He's got to figure it out with the guys on hand. Now, Shane Steichen with Jonathan Taylor, I'd love to see that. That's going to be a lot of fun. But what can Shane Steichen do with the receiving core that is arguably one of the biggest question marks on this team? Yeah, really, I think we can even take the plural of that guys that Shane Steichen will have and make it singular, guy. guy. This is going to come down to what the Colts do at quarterback, right? Because you can have Pittman. You can have, you can have Taylor. You can have all these guys. I mean, the Colts have had Pittman and Taylor, and their quarterback situation was such a disaster that none of that was relevant. It, did, it didn't matter. Um, you know, you, you go back and you look at Super Bowl winning teams and the running backs on those Super Bowl winning teams, basically this entire 21st century, and it's the opposite of a who's who <laughs> you know it's 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 a bunch of you know Ahmad Bradshaw okay yeah sure he's fine whatever um it's a bunch of guys like that and so it, you really have to fix quarterback before you fix anything else on here but what really gives me a lot of hope and optimism moving forward and I default that way I I, I try to be I'll beat up on the Colts I'll beat up on the Pacers or whoever else when they deserve it but I, I like to think good things about the Same. teams that are here in India I, I want what's best for them but when I look at Steichen and molding whoever this quarterback is, when you look at the three guys that he's had in Hurts and Philly and then with the Chargers, both Justin Herbert and Phillip Rivers, especially when you take the, the two opposite-ended guys there, Hurts and Phillip Rivers, you're not going to find two more different quarterbacks that have played in the league probably than those two guys over the last 20 years. And both of those guys were effective. And in fact, both, you could say, flourished. You know, Rivers didn't have a great 2019, the last year that he was with the Chargers, but 2017 and 18, he was still playing at a high level and obviously he came here and played at a high level and, and Hurts took off. Herbert, I think, you know, you and I probably could coach Justin Herbert and make an effective <laughs> office, right? Yeah. So, you know, th that's one that I'm not really focused on giving him credit for, but those other two, that, that gives me a lot of hope that regardless of whether it's Stroud, Young, Levis, Richardson, any of these guys that we're talking about in the upcoming draft – I think that Steichen can cater the offense to make it work to the skills of his quarterback. And, and I like that fact. Instead of somebody that's going to come in here and bang their fist on the table and say, we're going to do it my way, regardless of who it is, I think it's it's much better to uh, for the Colts to have a head coach that can approach this with an open mind. The Colts communication staff sent out an email with quotes from both Phillip Rivers and Norv Turner. But here's what Phillip Rivers said. Rivers said he's super fired up for Shane. I loved the time we had together with the Chargers, and I've stayed in touch with him over the last few years. It was just a matter of time before he got the opportunity to be a head coach. His offensive mind and feel for calling a game is elite. I think that's key. He has a great passion for the game and love for the players. The Colts got a heck of a coach and a person. That third to last sentence, Derek, his offensive mind and feel for calling a game is elite. That's why the Frank Reich era ended, didn't it? The feel for calling a game at times? To the people that were the Frank Reich detractors, absolutely. Yeah, the, the play calling was a big problem to a lot of people. It was less of a problem for me because I, I think you can only cook with the ingredients that you've been given. And there was nobody that could come in and, and call plays for Sam Ellinger and a broken down Matt Ryan with that offensive line. There was nothing that you could do about that. But yes, I, I think Brendan looking at this higher because they brought in defensive minded guys too yeah. right and and guys that were on that side of the ball as coordinators or whatever else the nfl seems to be trending this way where it's be aggressive analytics 
going for it on fourth down and normalizing that. Um, it's a cool thing to do. Running the ball, throwing the ball, uh, scoring points, really, instead of this uh, whole idea of like trusting your defense and three yards in a cloud of dust and, and all these old kind of pillars of 80s and 90s NFL football. I, I think we've finally kind of dragged everybody across the line that this is how it's going to be. And, and Steichen's mind and his portfolio certainly fits new age NFL thinking. That doesn't mean that he's going to be a great head coach because there have been other guys that have been analytic guys that have failed, right? Or, or new age guys or wonderkins when it comes to offensive minds and, and they've fallen on their face. But I think that gives you some hope here moving forward. The opposite sides of the spectrum. Denver this past year, you bring in arguably a Hall of Fame quarterback. You bring in the offensive coordinator that worked with a Hall of Fame quarterback. It completely winds up in the dust and you stink. Um uh, an- another situation might be different. But that's the risk you take with a young guy that's never been a head coach before, right? Yeah, absolutely. There's a risk. Uh, and it-, it goes with anything. When-, when you're hiring a new head coach, You, ne- it's never a slam dunk. Like Sean Payton, if we're going to use the Denver example, like that's not necessarily a slam dunk. Uh, you know, there-, there are guys that have established track records that go elsewhere and don't do great in their new spots wherever they end up being so even for a guy that has experience or no experience whatever else it's it's hard to really tell what they're going to be I I think what you have to do as a Colts fan is you, you have to be patient to let this play out especially with the quarterback situation but there also has to be an expectation that you're going to see progress immediately because the NFL turnarounds happen like this I mean look at the Giants the Giants last year, and really the last 10 years before that, were awful. They were completely out of it. They were a non-factor. And Dable came in, and with his staff, with Martindale and Kafka and everything else, and he changed around that offense and that defense. Um, Jacksonville, the same thing. With Urban Meyer, it was a complete disaster. After several years of being a disaster, Peterson comes in, and Lawrence, the light bulb turns on in year two, and here they are. They're in the playoffs and winning a playoff game and winning yeah. the division. So I'm not saying that the Colts are going to do that, but um, – you don't have to look at this like we do with baseball rebuilds or even NBA rebuilds where sometimes it's like a three or four year window. I think there's reasons to believe that the Colts can be competitive again almost immediately and back in the mix if things really go right in year two or year three not necessarily for a championship but at least being like a competent football team again which obviously they weren't this past season. That's why I have hope Derek that Indianapolis is a good town for this experiment to work in because people are relatively patient around here. I'm from a city that you alluded to earlier where they ran Matt Nagy out of town. Deserve? Maybe. But he did give Mitch Trubisky a pretty good look in year two. But then he got ran out of town because that city doesn't have patience. Mm -hmm. They will not give you the time needed to succeed and once that happens when the fan base gets frustrated that goes straight to the media that goes straight to that front office that's how that city operates here if the owner here has hope that usually is fed pretty well to the fan base and then the media usually starts to scoop that up if the owner's happy this show's usually happy if the owner's not happy this show's usually not happy so that's why it gives me hope that it can work in this city I mean, you want to talk about how patient people are here. Chris Bauer is going to 
He's been yeah. to year seven yeah. with really no tangible results to speak of. Like, I, I know there's some he extenuating. <laughs> you're right. There are some extenuating circumstances there with the luck retirement. I, I, I get all of that. I, I fully understand the history. But really, there aren't a lot of general managers who would make it seven years with a playoff win and no division titles. And, and really, like I said, no like real tangible results that you can kind of point to. So that shows the patience that's here. But. You know, what fascinates me about this situation that the Colts find themselves in is that, you know, suddenly when things went south, Reich immediately kind of became the fall guy and they lost all patience with Reich. And here's Ballard, who probably has at least two more years to kind of show what's going to happen here, because I, I don't think you're going to bring in Shane Steichen and a new quarterback and then fire your general manager after Can't one happen. year, right? You're Can't not, not going to do that. So you're essentially by retaining him, you're signing up for at least two more years of Chris Bauer. So we'll get eight full years to see what this team could be. But I, I think it fooled a lot of people. And and in some part I bought into, especially after that Patriots game, that Saturday night Patriots game in December of 2021, where I thought, wow, maybe, maybe this team is pretty good. But this whole idea of like, well, they've got pro bowlers here, here and here. Yeah. You've got a pro bowl running back and a pro bowl long snapper and a pro bowl defensive tackle and a pro bowl slot. Court. Who cares? Th- those aren't impact positions. They don't matter. They, they don't, they don't lead to championships. You need to have guys that can really play and stand out players at the impact positions, wide receiver, or quarterback it goes without saying edge those are the impact positions and, and the Colts have been lacking there so that's kind of the other conversation once we figure out what's going to happen here at we know what's going to happen at head coach but once we figure out what's going to happen here at quarterback it's about the Colts either fixing or progressing at those other spots you know is, is Michael Pittman a number one are you still holding out hope that that's the case is Jonathan Taylor worth extending is Quiddy Pay and, and Dio Adengbo, have they shown enough that they're going to be the pass rushers of the future for this team? How much does Gilmore still have left in the tank? There are all these other questions that we've kind of tabled for now as we put out the fires on West 56th Street that Jim Ursay kind of set for this franchise here and really the entire 2022 season, and, and we're going to have to move on and solve all of those things. Again, we're going to hear from Shane Steichen, Jim Ursay, and Chris Ballard shortly. I'm Brendan King with Derek Schultz and Jimmy Cook. Cam Blankenship is here as well. Uh, what you said earlier, Schultz, rings true because there's still a long way to go in this. You need a quarterback. This is like when you're in college and you're submitting that final paper. You got the paper done. You're feeling good about yourself. And then you'd submit it online and it says you're only 50% done because you need a works-sided page and you need it peer-reviewed. You still need a quarterback here. You're only halfway there. You got your coach. You got to pair him right now with the best QB fit, whether that's Young, whether that's Stroud, whether that's whoever. Yeah, we're going to have to figure all of that out uh, here in the, in the coming weeks and days. Now in the coming seconds, we go over to West 56th Street as the Colts are ready to introduce Shane Steichen as the team's new head coach. All right. <laughs> Good to see you, buddy. Okay. uh, Welcome, everybody. Um, We surely appreciate you coming by on this exciting day. Um, You know, I'd first, I'd say um, it's great to be here after such a great Super Bowl. Um, It was uh, a tremendous game. We were rooting for you, coach. and uh, the league really put on a great show. It was a, uh, a tremendous football game, one of the best Super Bowls ever. So um, uh, it, was, it was so great to see that and so good to be here 
um, a couple days later. And um, really just, um, obviously we're here to interview, to introduce Shane Steichen as our new head coach. But, um, you know, first of all, just like to make a few comments, uh, opening comments. Um, uh, basically just, you know, certainly want to um, thank Jeff Saturday for his committed and professional effort for what he did coming in in a very difficult situation and, uh, and doing an admirable job. And, uh, you know, really appreciate Jeff um, and thank him. Uh, he means a lot to this organization uh, and um, uh, was able to um, have a really good discussion with him uh, several times this weekend. And, uh, um, you know, he, 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 he did, uh, in my mind, uh, in, in a great job and, and represented the horseshoe well. So we wish Jeff well and um, really just um, all the candidates were, were outstanding. Um, and uh, I had a chance to talk to over half a dozen of them over the last um, 48 hours, and uh, it was a it was a very tremendous process, in, in the sense that it was very difficult because we had such outstanding candidates that that we talked to, and really the process was um, for Jeff. It was always going to be tough. We've never hired an interim head coach. Uh, um, in 70 years here um, uh, as a full head coach. And as we talked about, the process was going to be open and thorough once we got into the offseason. And it really was that. Uh, um, we really focused on um, trying to talk to a lot of people and get the best candidate for the Indianapolis Colts that we could. And um, I, the process has been you know, the same as it's always been. I think the only time in history, the process probably was different was when uh, uh, Tony Dungy got fired from Tampa and I called him an hour and a half later and offered him the job and hired him and, and uh, called Bill Polian and, and told him I had talked to Tony and he's our man. And, you know, Bill and I so close, he didn't miss a beat and said, well, bright minds think alike. So um, uh, that, you know, that was probably the only time that that was, it was an unusual situation for a, a head coach hiring. Um, but this was a very thorough process and um, it was uh, one where really in, in, in talking to over a half a dozen candidates personally for me um, for five hours or more, um, we really had some outstanding candidates who really wanted to be here um, with the Indianapolis Colts. And, and I thank them all um, and it was a process that was very difficult in the end. Uh, um, uh, Friday night, a week before the Super Bowl, um, went to Philadelphia, and uh, um, as did Chris and, and our, our entire staff. And uh, Shane and I met Friday night uh, uh, in, in, in the city in Philadelphia, and we just, we had an incredible conversation. It was a very long and thorough conversation. And um, he, he was just so impressive. Um, he um, really um, was incredible in the interview. Um, I know that uh, from talking to Philip Rivers and others, I, I know Philip 
had a lot of input, uh, and him and I talked for a very long time about Shane, and as as others I, I talked to, and and uh, um, Shane was just tremendous in the interview. Um, showed incredible leadership, uh, toughness, um, very fast mind, uh, um, able to process information um, and disseminate information very quickly. Uh, I know Philip said at one point, uh, you threw away the play card and was calling plays from your head, um, which uh, uh, is, is savant-like, uh, according to Philip. Uh, and so um, he, he was just, he was so impressive that I, I, I talked to Chris and I, uh, Friday night and, and they were meeting with him all day Saturday. I said, I don't want to, you know, uh, tip the deck or anything, but I'm not going to tell you anything you're not going to see. But, but boy, Shane just knocked it out of the park and, and really showed qualities that um, uh, put him above uh, during the whole process uh, as, our, as our man. And, and, and uh, Chris and, and the entire staff met on uh, Saturday with Shane. And um, uh, him and I met, and, and we were both in unison that um, Shane clearly wa was the man. And, and uh, um, it was very exciting because um, we had a lot of great candidates at that point. It was a close uh, contest. But after talking to Shane, I, I, Chris and I both felt, wow, um, he's clearly our, our guy above the pack. So um, we were so excited um, uh, to get Shane, and, and uh, we thank the other uh, candidates so much for their, their time, and, and the process was something that produced our head coach, Shane Steichen. Congratulations. And, and please, uh, uh, I'll introduce Chris next, and, and, uh, uh, and then he can officially introduce you, and you can take it to the podium. So go ahead, Chris. Yeah, I'll, I'll keep it as short as I can. Um, it was a great process. I know one that was a little different than what people think is conventional in this league. But, you know, one of the things through the years I've heard, and I've heard coaches talk about this, is – making sure everybody's getting a fair and equitable sh chance to interview for the job. And so when we started this, we got a team of people um, and we talked about, okay, this is how we want to do it. We want to not only have a thorough, diverse search, but also one where people could grow. Um, so whoever ended up being the head coach, the other ones we could give real constructive feedback where they could grow. Um, and I think we were able to do that. Um, we interviewed a bunch of great people. They were outstanding. Um, and Shane ended up being, you know, our top choice. Um, a lot of people to thank. So Jasmine, where you at, Jasmine? Steve Campbell, where y'all at? I want to make sure people, you're hiding. Make sure people see, hey, they, they hung in there with us <laughs> through some really long, I mean, I'm talking four or five hour Zoom mit Zoom interviews, and then another 12 to 14, some 15-hour days. And so Jasmine and Steve, I appreciate you. Pete Ward, we drug him through the mud, too, for a month. Um, Kaylin and Carly, they were a big part of it. Ed Decker, Brian Decker, our scouts, all the research they did, it was just incredible. 
and couldn't be more pleased with the outcome of, of Shane as our head coach. Um, I appreciate our fans. Um, I know for the last month you've been wondering, you know, where we're going and what we're going to do. Um, and we've come to that moment and couldn't be more excited and proud to have, you know, Shane as our head football coach. You know, and I, I know you're going to ask, so I'll tell you. High integrity, high character, brilliant football mind, and philosophically we see the game the same way, which I think is important. Um, and we're not always going to agree. I don't know, I think there's times in the interview we didn't always agree, and that's okay. But we see the game the same way and how it needs to be played. Um, and I think that's big for the relationship between the head coach and GM. Um, so with no further ado, I'll introduce you to Shane Steichen, uh, next head coach of the Indianapolis Colts. Well, I just want to start, you know, first off, I'm extremely honored and grateful to be the next head football coach of the Indianapolis Colts. I would like to start by thanking Mr. Ursay for believing in me and giving me this opportunity. And I look forward to working with you and building something special here. Thank you to the rest of the Ursay family, Carly, Casey, and Kaylin, for this unbelievable opportunity. I will forever be grateful to you and your family. Thank you to Chris Ballard and the rest of the Colts organization. Again, I'm beyond grateful and can't wait to work with you and the rest of the personnel department. Thank you to the Chargers organization and the Spanos family for a great eight years together. Thank you to Mr. Lurie and the Eagles organization for the past two seasons. I will always be grateful for those memories and friendships that I'll cherish forever. I can't say enough good things about what a great organization Mr. Lurie and his staff has put together there. Just a tremendous place and a first-class operation. I'd like to thank my high school coach, Chris Jones. Thank you for teaching me the game and making me foster a love for the game. I will forever be grateful for you and our friendship. Thank you to Norv Turner, my biggest mentor. I appreciate you taking the chance on me back in 2011 and hiring me to work on the defensive side of the ball and seeing it from that point of view. I will be forever grateful for you and the things you've taught me along the way and can, will continue to teach me. Thank you to Mike McCoy for believing in me and giving my first time full-time gig as a quarterback coach of the Chargers. Thank you to Anthony Lynn for believing in me to be your offensive coordinator. Thank you to Nick Sirianni. I appreciate everything you've done as a head football coach. It was a pleasure to work with you again these past two seasons. It was a hell of a ride and one I'll cherish forever. But more importantly, the friendship that we built over the last nine years. Thank you. Thank you to the players I've had the privilege to be around and coach. Thank you to Philip Rivers. I can't say enough about how much you've had impact on me as a coach. So many great memories together and couldn't be more thankful for our friendship. Thank you to Antonio Gates, Keenan Allen, Justin Herbert, and most recently, Thank you to A.J. Brown, Devontae Smith, Quez Watkins, Zach Paschal, Dallas Goddard, Jack Stoll, Grant Calcaterra, Miles Sanders, Boston Scott, Kenny Gainwell, Jordan Malata, Landon Dickerson, Jason Kelsey, Isaac Suamala, Lane Johnson, Ian Book, Gardner Minshew, and last but not least, Jalen Hurts. 
Thank you to each and every single one of you guys. I would not be sitting here today if it wasn't for you. It's all about the players, and it'll always be about the players. And I will be forever grateful for you guys, and I wish you guys all the best going forward. I'd like to thank my family, my mom, my dad, my brothers, for your guys' support on my journey. I love you guys. And lastly, thank you to my beautiful wife, Nina, and our two kids, Hudson and Stella. Thank you for sacrificing everything you do, day in and day out, so I can live out my dream. I love you guys more than you know. Hey Shane. How you doing? Congratulations and welcome to Indianapolis. Thank you. Um, this is a very extensive process, and I wonder what was different about interviewing with the Colts than maybe some other teams, and what did you learn about this organization as you moved through it, and what was your pitch as to why you should be the guy? Well, I think the, the process they went through uh, in the interview process was extremely detailed, um, and obviously they interviewed a lot of candidates, and I spent many, many hours with them over a Zoom, and then them coming to Philadelphia. Uh, they did an unbelievable job going through that process. And really my vision that I shared with them, um, I want to build this thing on four pillars. Our culture is going to be built on four pillars, and one's going to be character. Character is very important to me. We want to treat people with respect, and we want to feed the positive and weed out the negative. And number two is the preparation. I truly believe this. The separation in this league is in the preparation. How we prepare as a football team and an organization Monday through Saturday will ultimately dictate the outcome of a football game. Now, is it going to guarantee us a victory? No, but it's going to give us a fighting chance, I promise you that. And number three is consistency. we got to be consistent, and it starts with us as coaches, being consistent with our message to the players and telling them exactly how we want it to look and how we want it to be done. And number four is relentless. we got to be relentless in our pursuit to be the best. The best players, the best coaches I've been around are obsessed with their craft, and that's what we want to build here. And that's what we want to get done. Chris, how did you balance the desire to get the right guy for the job with also knowing that clock's ticking and it's been some five weeks before you got the guy? I don't think there was a ba – I mean, y'all know me well enough. I, I mean, I think I told y'all at the end of the season, like, this was – this could go into mid-February. We were going to take our time. Um, I never understand what the hurry is. It's about getting it right. And if that meant we needed to interview 50 people, we'd have interviewed 50 people. I mean, you want to get the right person for the job, which we felt we've done. And I don't, like I know, I'm not going to sit here and say I don't hear the noise. But I don't react to the noise, if that makes sense. I just, you want to get it right. And so whatever pressure was felt externally, we did not feel internally. Uh, we, we had an Mr. Ursay and I were on the same page when that season ended in Houston and we had a long visit. When I walked out of the office, we were on the same page of where we were going and how we were going to run this process. And if it took six weeks, it took six weeks. Shane, you've been kind of a, the offensive guy with quarterbacks or, or the coordinator. Have you talked to maybe Nick, the transition from being the offensive guy to now it's the whole process. How do you see that transition going? Yeah, I think uh, 
That's a good question. I think, uh, you know, I've been able to lead a group of men, you know, the last four years offensively, you know, 26 men. And now this is an opportunity to lead another 26 plus men. So obviously being in charge of the whole football team uh, is a big challenge. Uh, one I'm excited about. Uh, looking forward to getting to know these players uh, and building this culture the right way. But uh, really looking forward to it. So Shane, Shane, um, heard a lot about you, heard you're a badass, a tough guy. Um, up here, you're crying like a baby, which I love. Are you, which one, are you a hard ass? Are you an emotional basket case? I happen to like all that, but what are you? Well, I, I think maybe a little bit of both. I don't know. Right now, I'm a little emotional. Um, obviously, this is a big day for me and my family. Um, but, you know, again, you know, we, we have, a, you know, we want to get some things done here uh, as an organization. This is a special place. Uh, there's a lot of rich tradition here. Um, we've got a lot of good players in place. I see some of you guys sitting right there. Looking forward to working with you. Um, but again, it's going to be a day-by-day -day process that uh, we got to grind every single day, and we got to be relentless in our pursuit to get done what we need to get done. Shane, you were obviously busy preparing for the Super Bowl, but you had a lot of coaches over there who uh, have been in this building, and obviously Philip Rivers. Did you do much research on this franchise? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, just like they did research on me, I did research on this place, and not one thing came out of this place. Unbelievable respect for this organization, the people in this building, Mr. Ursay, uh, Chris. Uh, the operations part of it, the whole thing. Uh, I've heard nothing but great things. Uh, so very fortunate to be in the position I'm in uh, and looking forward to getting to work. Shane, uh, I've had a couple people tell me that you have kind of a, a non-conventional approach style uh, in terms of your demeanor with coaching, uh, not in a negative way, in a positive way. Um, what are they talking about? Do you, do you kind of, can you kind of explain your approach and, you know, what, I mean, what that dynamic you know, obviously like? we're going to have a detailed plan on how we want to get things done. Um, but, uh, you know, I go with my gut feeling on a lot of things. You know, I'm a gut feeling guy, especially, you know, on game day. Um, I'll have a gut feeling on when to do certain things uh, as a play caller, um, all those different things. But, uh, again, we're going to be aggressive and all those different things. And my philosophy offensively, I'm sure you guys are going to ask, but my philosophy on offense is this. And it's going to look different each week, but – my philosophy is we're going to throw to score points in this league and run to win. We're going to throw to score points and run to win. Now, that could look different each week. You know, we sometimes I went into games like, hey, we're going to throw it a bunch, and then we end up running it 45 times. So um, it's going to, the flow is going to dictate that. Um, I know we got some pieces in place to get that done, uh, and we should be ready to roll. Shane, right here. James Ward with The Athletic. Um, obviously, you've worked with different quarterbacks throughout your career, um, a lot of different traits in those quarterbacks. This is a franchise that is looking to improve that position, could potentially draft one. What do you think is the most important thing when it comes to quarterback skill set and development to have success in this league? Yeah, I think accuracy, uh, decision-making, and the ability to create are the three things that uh, I look at in a quarterback. Um, I think those all three things are very important, but obviously above the neck. I think the, you know, the players that I've been around, Jalen Hurts and Justin Herbert and Phillip Rivers, uh, they all have one thing in common. They're obsessed with their craft. Uh, and if you can find that uh, in a quarterback, you're probably going to have some success. Shane, you started out as a defensive a defensive assistant. How did, has, did that help you in your growth as an offensive coach? Um, it's been great to see that side of the football and see how uh, defensive coaches uh, see the game um, was tremendous for me. You know, I was doing that for two years and then got to flip back to offense in 2013. But to, just to see the coverage techniques and the defensive line techniques and you know, are they readers? Are they penetrators? And are they going to carry? And all these different things from a coverage standpoint and how defenses play it helped me become a better offensive football coach going forward. 
Hey, Shane, uh, congrats. Welcome to Indy. Um, I think you just mentioned it a few minutes ago, but will you call the plays here? And how much would you say the offense has changed from what you did with Phillip to what you did with Jalen? Yeah, uh, I will call the plays here. Um, it, 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 uh, obviously, the, the, the offense is going to be dictated on who's playing quarterback. That's how you build the system. What does he do well? What is their strengths? But not only just the quarterback, it's the players, too. Uh, what does Pittman run well receiver-wise? You know, the tight ends, the backs, Jonathan Taylor, the offensive line, what do they do well? Uh, we want to do a hell of a job of trying to put our guys in position to make plays. Hey, Shane, just to follow up on the, the building an offense for a quarterback, you've had three completely different styles with Rivers and uh, Herbert and, and Hertz. So what, what to you is the process of figuring out what that guy needs in the early going, and how do you go about building that offense so he's comfortable right away? Yeah, I think obviously being around Phillip, you know, he was already in the system for so many years, and uh, he was an established quarterback. So we continue to do what he did well uh, when I was, you know, the coordinator there just for half the season with him and being his quarterback coach for a while. And then having Justin uh, as a rookie, really, you know, these guys coming at college, it's like, hey, what are they doing well at college? You know, and how can we adapt that to our game offensively uh, and build around his strengths? And then same thing with Jalen over the past two years, uh, building that thing with him. Uh, what are his strengths? What does he do well? Uh, and he does a lot well. Um, he's a hell of a football player. And I was very, very fortunate to be around him the last two years. Coach right here, congratulations. Welcome to Indianapolis. How big of a factor was knowing that you could be a part of developing another quarterback because that is a possibility that could come up come draft time? Yeah, I mean, we'll go through that process. Me and Chris will talk about that in the next few days. Um, but looking forward to all those things. Uh, Shane, do you play it on retaining Gus Bradley and the defensive staff and Bubba Ventrone? Do, do you kind of have a lot of your staff already Yeah, that's done. the next process that I'm going to go through is hiring a staff, uh, and those guys will have those conversations in the next few days. This is for Jim and Chris. You guys met with a lot, a lot of people. What did you learn about your organization, and when did you decide that this was the move that you wanted to make? When was the moment that you figured this was the guy? Um, well, I think we both could answer, Chris. I, I really um, – I, I think that um, – you know, you hit it on the head. You learn a lot from each interview. Um, uh, sitting there and, and talking football, um, leadership, many, many things with someone for five straight hours and, and, and Chris's process with all our people uh, in the organization, my daughters and, and Pete and many others. It was a very thorough process. And, and I think um, we were very open-minded and and just trying to learn, you know, who's going to walk in and, and what interview um, is going to tip the scales because we had great guys. I mean, Rich was great and Raheem was great and Aaron was great. I mean, we really, we had, it was some tremendous uh, people in here interviewing. And I think what we learned um, in the end was that we just felt that, that Shane um, had a lot of that offensive magic, which is hard to find in this league. It's offense, in my mind, can be a little more complex and takes a longer time to develop. Uh, knowing that we're going to have to find a young quarterback to develop, um, that's a key factor. But he had to show the leadership. He had to show that he had a presence. And, and boy, did, did he um, come through in that with, with his interview. Um, um, because you have quiet people like Tom Landry or Tony Dungy, and, and it doesn't mean that they're not great leaders. But I think um, with Shane, um, 
it, it's it's something to me and Chris can follow up, but also his mind. I mean, he's very much like I said, thinking multiple things at once, disseminating that information quickly. Um, I, I think he has a very special mind uh, um, for for football, and 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 uh, and you have to have that at, at his position. So um, we we learned a lot. I, I I think we are very excited just. Um, how many people um, were excited to, to come to come here, and, and that's always tough, as Chris knows. Talking to these guys afterwards, they were so thankful, uh, and uh, you know, they, it, it's tough because it's their dream, and that dream just didn't come true. But but Shane's shown the, the, the his stars shine the brightest. So Chris, why don't you follow up? You know, much. I mean, I learned a ton. Um, I think we all did. One being, it, it's always fun to talk about your roster. Um, so that was good. That was a good learning experience. I think, you know, getting what people thought from the outside. Um, two, that this is still viewed and as it should be as a good job, even though that was getting not always the way it was painted. Um, we had, I promise, no issues in terms of people coveting uh, the job and wanting to be interviewed. Um, and, and feel very fortunate that, you know, that Shane's here. Chris, knowing where you guys are as a franchise with probably a young quarterback coming in in April, how did that kind of weigh in your, your process of going through these coaches and knowing that he's done this before with quarterbacks? And was that really important to find a guy that can be the guy to lead the quarterback? Yeah, I mean, is it an added bonus? Yes. Um, was it the final defining factor? No. Um, we went into this, we wanted to get the best fit for us and for the Colts organization, and, and Shane fit that. And now that, you know, I mean, look, we interviewed from defense to offense to special teams. I mean, we had a real, from young to older. I mean, we had a very diverse group here, and Shane kind of checked all the boxes. A few of them checked most of them, but Shane checked all of them of what we were looking for. Mr. Ursa, you mentioned the Super Bowl, the two number one seeds putting on a show, but yet this year, despite just four wins, you, you beat the Chiefs and you went toe-to-toe -to -toe with the Eagles. Does that, one, remind you of how fine the line is between winning and losing in this league and also let you know you've got some really good pieces already in place? Well, no question. I, I think that comes up where, you know, you, you, you beat the Chiefs and, and battled – um, his former great team here and, and um, how well we played in that game and had such a chance. It was too difficult at the end with, you know, them having four downs and 12 players on the field with Jalen um, uh, as a runner and thrower. But um, uh, it was a great game and it's two different coaches. And, you know, I think Shane hit it on the head this year about consistency and, and really um, – you know, preparation and, and, and really following through because you saw, you know, through the last couple of years, these spurts, these spurts, you know, you know, Tampa Bay, first half of Minnesota, Dallas tied going into the fourth quarter. And, 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 and then things dissolved on us to, to our pain. You know, we, we felt we had the commanders game one being up by nine points and it slipped away. And it's hard for our guys on the team. They work so hard. And, you know, Shane knows and Chris, you know, you're fed by wins and when they don't come, it's difficult. So 
Um, for me, it, it's, it's something where really y you saw um, how we competed against the Super Bowl teams, clearly two great teams. Um, so it shows that we have a lot of great football players here, which we know. It's a roster that um, is, 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 is not that far away. And um, we're not hiding, you know, no one can shy away from the fact what quarterback means in this league and how we have to look going forward where, where Shane and Chris really, you know, dig into this draft and really see where you're at. Do you stay put? Do you trade up? You know, there, there's many things you can do. Uh, they took Jalen in the second round. So, trade um, back. Yeah, trade back. So, um, he likes that'll picks. Be a, that'll be a Twitter <laughs> freaking quote. He, he likes picks. Uh, 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 although the Alabama guy doesn't look bad, I tell you. Um, but uh, uh, it'll, be, it'll be exciting, and I think that shows um, that we have talent here, those games. So, we're looking forward um, to Shane really coming in and utilizing that talent and adding to it with Chris. Shane, uh, in how Nick Sirianni led the last couple of years, what do you take the most from how you watched a young first-time head coach operate? Nick did an unbelievable job uh, of holding guys accountable. And I know the players that were here with him, I know they saw that, uh, and he carried that over to Philadelphia. And uh, he never let anything slide. And I think as a head football coach, you got to hold people, hold people accountable. And uh, if something ain't right, something needs to be said. And as player to player, coach to coach, coach to player, like we got to make sure we're all on the same page and rolling. And he did a hell of a job doing that. For Chris, and I'd also like to get your perspective as well, Shane, is it at all awkward or just interesting or does it mean or say anything that you go and get another Eagles offensive coordinator after you just fired Frank Reich? Mm -hmm. Well, same team logo, different regime, you know, different regime. Uh, Doug was a head coach and now it was Nick, now, even though Nick came from us. Um, but the one, I think the one thing you'll see in this league, a lot of coaches are tied. You know, at some point they've crossed paths and it didn't even enter into my thinking um, or our thinking when we were, you know, making the final decision. We interviewed a bunch of people, hired who we thought was the best guy, who we know is the best guy for the job. <laughs> you sure? Good question. I mean, I get it. I've thought about it, but I mean, it wasn't for very long. Uh, <laughs> Shane, uh, you know, as you, as you plotted your future, I, I'm sure you know, the first thought you thought about being a head coach wasn't when the Colts called you. As you plotted your future and you thought about, you know, some of the pitfalls that, that caused coaches to perhaps fail, particularly first-time head coaches, uh, what are some of those do you think about? Uh, again, I think you've got to have a very thorough process and you've got to have, a, have, to have a clear vision of what you want it to look like and you've got to follow through with that vision. I think that's first and foremost. Uh, you can't slide away or steer away from that vision. Uh, you've got to double down on what you believe in. You know what I mean? And I think that's the biggest thing is staying true to who you are, believing what you're doing. And if, you want, you know, if you're going to fail, do it the way you want to fail. Uh, and if you're going to succeed, do it the way you want to do it. So um, I have a vision like I talked about on how I want to get it done, but it's going to take a lot of work. Every single day, we got to be consistent with every single thing we do. Coaches, players, front office, we got to be on the same page at all times moving forward. All right, last one, James. Shane, obviously, we're in the biggest game in the world, you know, a couple of days ago. Um, how hard was it to not run it back and to, you know, start anew and then maybe 
I guess how has your dream kind of shifted a little bit now that you're in a new chapter of it? Yeah, it was uh, it was an unbelievable uh, experience to be a part of that football game. The guys that have been in this room, coaches or players that have been a part of it, um, it was a tremendous honor to get to that point. It took a lot of hard work uh, to get there. Um, you know, being in that game, I actually, I'm not going to lie, I just start, I turned it on about an hour ago and watched the first quarter uh, just to look at it, uh, just to, you know, be in that moment and know how hard it is to get there. And uh, it's going to take a lot of hard work, obviously, as a Colts organization. Players, you know, we want to get there uh, as soon as we can. So um, that's about it. That is the new head coach of the Indianapolis Colts, Shane Steichen with Chris Ballard and Jim Ursay. We welcome you back on 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. I'm Brendan King with Derek Schultz and Jimmy Cook. Shane Steichen has spoken. Let's take a quick timeout, right, Jimmy? Let's take a quick timeout. We'll come back, break all this down. If you would like to get your thoughts in, 317-239-1070. We got plenty of time for you as the day goes on. Coming up, we're going to hear uh, from Mike Chappell. He was at the press conference. Chappie will break things down. But later in the show, we got time for you. 317-239-1070. Brendan King, Derek Schultz, Jimmy Cook, Shane Steichen is the new head coach of the Indianapolis Colts. We're back next. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. There you have it. Press conference is done. You heard from plenty of familiar voices on the stream here on 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan, including our very own Kevin Bowen, who got two questions there, including... What was maybe the most important question of the press conference as we welcome you back to the drivehubler.com studio. Brendan King, Derek Schultz, and Jimmy Cook with you on a Tuesday. Shane Steichen, the new head coach of the Indianapolis Colts. Derek Schultz, he will be calling plays. Yeah, an interesting nugget. And thanks to, uh, I guess I could say, our very own, right? I have a parking card, so I guess I can... I mean, you're, wearing, you're the one we. wearing a fan sweatshirt I, I today. I have a fan hoodie on, so I guess I could say R and we when it comes to the team here. Uh, our very own Kevin Bowen getting some clarity there um, and no hesitation from Shane Steichen saying, no, oh, look, I'm, I'm going to call the plays. And I think ultimately, um, Brendan, that's what you want. with uh, Given his offensive mind, given his track record, um, I want to put the offense in his hands. And I, something else that kind of jumped out to me about that press conference is that we were wondering, are the Colts going to favor an offensive guy or a defensive guy? And I think Ursay sort of revealed when, when talking about this process, and even Bowered a little bit, that with as much as they mentioned the young quarterback to groom, young quarterback to groom, young quarterback to groom, they mentioned that several times. So to repeat that several times leads me to believe that this was the plan all along. Like, I'm not saying that they were shut off to Raheem Morris or uh, Jero Vero or, or any of the defensive – Aaron Glenn, the defensive guys that they talked to. I, I think they were open I, – I take them for their word that they were open when talking to all these candidates. I don't think they were interested in wasting anybody's time. But I do firmly believe that they were leaning towards an offensive head coach because they know with this pick that they're taking a quarterback. It was funny that – Maybe the funniest moment of the press conference was when they were talking about getting a quarterback in here and Ballard maybe trying to be a little smart and saying, oh, we could you know, trade back. And then Ursay saying the kid from Alabama looks pretty good. Yeah. 
Jim Irsay wants Bryce Young. Quote little, it. A little breadcrumbs. Quote it. A little breadcrumbs right there. Um, I mean, they're having some fun, I think, with the situation, um, especially since the last time that we saw this team assembled together, obviously not with Shane Steichen. It was just very dark. <laughs> you know, that, that press conference that we mentioned at the beginning of the show, that was the introductory press conference for Jeff Saturday. That was a, a tone and a vibe that I, I have, I, I've been around the team for, you know, 15, 16 years. I've never seen it miserable. like that. Yeah. I, I never seen it like that. I was very angry. Um, this was a, a happy day. This was an emotional day for Shane Steichen, which I, I found very endearing. It, it's cool. And you know this, Brendan, because you see guys like, like, let's say get the call up from South Bend to the big leagues or, or to the next level or whatever else you see them their progression when you see a moment really hit somebody in live time it, it's pretty neat right because here's Shane Steichen this is you know I'm not going to compare it to like actual life moments the birth of his daughters the uh, you know his wedding day anything like that but in the professional category this is the best day of his life right he's an NFL head coach a guy that was a eh, quarterback in the Mountain West for UNLV and an and assistant for, what, 12 years in the NFL. Now he's realizing his dream. And to, for him to wear his emotions on the sleeve like that, I, I find that very endearing as somebody on the outside looking in. Well, especially that, that somebody that wants to be here because Indianapolis is not the biggest market in the world. I don't, I don't think it stands out more than the big cities. But somebody that wants to make a difference here and somebody that wants to win here, that's refreshing. Yeah. Right? I mean – Give me somebody passionate. Give me that drive. There was a lot about this process where I think people took the negativity to a level that the Colts didn't deserve. And and we're all human, right? I I think we all kind of pile on, and it was easy to pile on the 2022 Colts. But there there were a couple things about this process that I always kind of bucked against that I I don't think were true. And that was the insinuation that nobody wants this job. You know, I, I don't think that's true at all. I don't think that's really true for any NFL job. I think you're always going to find people that that want that job. But the Colts aren't – it feels like a long time because they haven't been good in a while. The Colts aren't that far removed from being one of the most respected and well-run franchises in the entire league. And there's no reason why they can't get back to that level. Um I think we look at the Peyton Manning and and Tony Dungy situation and Bill Polian as – you know, kind of the the dream scenario, right, where you have a Hall of Fame head coach, Hall of Fame general manager, Hall of Fame quarterback. I'm not saying that the Colts are just easily going to replicate something like that, but there's no reason to think, again, kind of going back to our early conversation on the show, that this can't be a competent franchise again, that this can't bounce back again, that Jim Irsay can't get out of the way again and, and delegate to the people that he trusts to do their job, in this case with Boward and Steichen. Um, I think there are a lot of things that happen in 2022 that hopefully aren't going to carry over. And I'm optimistic that that's the case. And I think today's press conference was the first indication that they're ready to turn the page. There is a sense of optimism for me, Schulte, too, because we didn't know what we were going to hear from Shane Steichen. He could have been that kind of teddy bear crier guy, or he could have been fully serious. Well, we got got the front part of that. But the play calling, I'm optimistic about it because of what he said about we're going to pass the score, and we're going to run to win. To me, in years past, the Colts got away from the run too much, and the play calling, to me, became a problem as we went along. That's just my opinion. But you arguably have a top three running back in the league, and Jonathan Taylor is going to win you ballgames. I'm glad that Shane Steichen understands that. But the wide receiver room, there's some work to do there, but the ultimate question comes back to who's going to be throwing the ball to that wide receiver room, and that's where it starts. 
it starts there. Now we can move on from who's the head coach going to be. Now, yeah. now it's about who's the quarterback. And we could talk about these other things, Taylor Pittman, free agency, the rest of the draft class. There's going to be time to talk about all those things, but really none of that matters until they solve what's going to happen to quarterback. But that's the right approach to take, BK, is you know throwing to score a lot of points and then run to win. Um the appetizer and the entree has to be throwing mm. and then the dessert when things are kind of in hand okay let's let's kind of grind this out and milk the clock and punch this out that that's the way that it should be but until then you should really slam your foot on the gas should be all gas no breaks that's my that that would be my philosophy as a as an offensive guy um because that's the way that the league is going. Um, it's great to have Jonathan Taylor. It's great to you know wear the cute hat that says "run the damn ball." If you can't get the ball down the field vertically, you have no chance. You have no chance of, of being anything than a nine and eight football team. That's what you're going to be. So if you really want to contend and and be a championship level team, you have to be able to throw. And I think Steichen knows that. I think Ursay knows that. I think Bauer knows that. And and hopefully the Colts are able to do that because it really short circuited the 21 season. I don't want to bring up you know, that name of, of the previous quarterback because I, I think we've kind of left that dead and buried. But while the Colts had issues beyond just Carson Wentz, part of the reason that that season failed and, and collapsed down the stretch there was because they couldn't throw. They, they couldn't keep defenses honest. And it, and it can't just be one guy and trying to run the ball and having him save the day and break a long one against the Patriots like Jonathan Taylor was able to do. You have to be able to complement it with other things. And, and hopefully this offense can can grow and progress and I think there are some reasons for optimism with the wide receiver room uh, I I don't think Pittman is a game breaker I, I don't think he's a number he's one a really good number keep two. you up at night guy I, I think he's kind of a like a lower one high two caliber player if you can retain Paris Campbell in free agency I don't think that he's ever going to be like this dynamic keep you up at night type playmaker but I, I think he could be a nice compliment and a nice wild card in your offense the tight end room Jelani Woods, I, I think there's some reason for op, uh, for optimism there. Granson, et cetera. Um, and then obviously bringing back Taylor as well and, and hopefully Nelson, Kelly, uh, Smith, they, they start to figure out the pillars of this offensive line start to kind of figure it back out and, and revert to being the unit that we saw in 2019 and 2020, which was one of the better units in the entire league. Um, if they can do all those things, <laughs> a lot of ifs there, and then sprinkle in and, and complement some more pieces through the draft and free agency. Again, Brandon, I, I think that this team can be competitive again in short order. I really I, do. I love what you said about the tight end room because the Super Bowl, Dallas Goddard, now Dallas Goddard is an incredible talent. He was an extreme X factor. When you look at that offense being run, Dallas Goddard was open more than half of the pass plays that they threw. I was watching his route specifically. Jelani Woods is a big body. Mo Ali Cox, if he's back, he's a massive body. Kylan Granson's kind of that mix between speed and strength. And it's a more by committee tight end room here in Indianapolis as opposed to Philadelphia where Goddard takes most, if not all, the snaps individually. But that should give you hope, right? Jalen Hurts is a young quarterback where maybe throwing to tight ends for those little five, six-yard dunks, that's not as popular anymore, that's not as flashy, but a guy like Jalen Hurts, who is a flashy quarterback, you're going to get somebody flashy in here, whether that's Bryce Young, C.J. Stroud, Anthony Richardson, whoever. I I love that part of the Eagles' offense, that they integrated a guy like Dallas Goddard in that tight end room, and you mentioned the young talent that's already here. Jelani Woods looked like a superstar at times with Matt Ryan. That was the one guy that Ryan really had that connection with. I can only imagine what's going to happen with a young guy. Yeah, absolutely. And 
it, it kind of opens you up to any of those four quarterbacks because I'm not going to pretend to know every single offensive philosophy of every single guy they interviewed. Like, you know, the Colts talked to all these guys for six, eight, 10, 12 hours. So maybe they know, uh, you know, who was going to do what with whom. But when you look at Steichen's track record, Rivers, Hurts, Herbert, those are three very different guys. And this draft class has a bunch of different guys. If we're focusing on the top four with with Young, Stroud, Levis, and, and Richardson, those are four guys with four different skill sets. It's fascinating to think of how you can cater the Shane Steichen offense, the Colts offense, to those guys' skill set. You know, particularly with Richardson, who I know is kind of maybe the most boomer bust. I mean, all quarterbacks are boomer bust, right? Very rarely do you have like a Peyton Manning, Andrew Luck, you know, even to some extent a Trevor Lawrence type guy. But Richardson to me is the most, you know, he's either going to be out of the league in three years or he's going to be like one of the next big things. Um, and seeing the Hurts offense and the mobility and, and how they use that as a weapon is, uh, is I, I'm just intrigued. I'm not saying that Richardson is my guy, but I'm just saying that, you know, he's one of the guys that kind of jumps out to me as, hey, this could be a, a good fit with what we know about Steichen and his work with Hurts. I know a lot of people that are definitely on the Anthony Richardson train. Fl- Florida was kind of a mess, though, so yeah. I'm, a, I'm a little hesitant there, but it also gives me hope that Steichen told the stories about being on the defensive side of the ball and that how, how that impacted him as an offensive coach. Because look, as a head coach, we have seen many, many young, talented offensive play callers fail as a head coach because of their inability to either understand the other side of the game, the other phases of the game, or, or just flat out not being able, not, for one, how to call timeouts or how to manage a clock. Shane Steichen has had the experience on both sides of the ball he mentioned North Turner being one of his mentors that's amazing for a guy that's 37 and has had these experiences and he was on that defensive side of the ball for two years it's not like it was a quick cup of coffee on an interim thing that that's two seasons right there and I don't want to uh, say that this is absolutely going to happen but I, I know they didn't want to commit to Gus Bradley I think Gus Bradley. I'd be really surprised if he was in the room. It's not Gus Bradley, right? I, okay, so we, we that'd be kinda, a little awkward, right? I, I feel like we know who's going to run this defense, and I, I think there was a lot to like about that Colts defense last year. And, and I think really, if, if you're looking at this again, we're all like, you know, sugar plum fairies and gumdrops and happy, yay, happy time for the Colts, right? We're, 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 we're <laughs> doing this right now. It is. Yeah, we're, we're doing this right now. So let, let's yeah. lean into it. Let's yeah. go all the way into the optimism way. Yeah, I think that's the best thing for a brand new first time head coach to have a defensive coordinator like Bradley who's been through it for years and years and years and knows this personnel and there was a lot to like with the Colts defensive unit last year I I, I think with a even a competent offense that would have been an an upper half to even like a top 10 I don't think it's an elite unit but um, that Colts defense was way better than the offense allowed it to be you know, because you look at stats like yards allowed, points allowed. So much of that was the fact that the Colts couldn't stay on the field offensively, or they were giving the defense short fields for the opponent. Um, there were there were a lot that kind of cooked the books, unfortunately, for the Colts defense last year. But I, I thought when they were healthy, that was a, a good unit, and and still has room to grow with some of the young players like Dio, like Pay, um, et cetera, that are part of that group. The Offensive coordinator hire is going to be interesting because it seems like as we go along in the NFL with these hires, you know, Nick Sirianni gets hired as the head coach in Philadelphia as offensive coordinator, of course, Shane Steichen, and now Steichen's the head coach. And it it, it seems like a two, three-year process where if the Colts come out as one of those 
newly crowned offensive weapon teams. Uh, this offensive coordinator hire, I, I'm really intrigued by it, Schultz, because Steichen mentioned he's going to go about hiring his staff very soon. If Bradley's back as the defensive coordinator, that gives you a little stability. Bubba Ventrone is the ultimate mystery, it seems, at special teams. If he was in the room, who knows if he... I thought he was going to wind up in Carolina. Yeah, why would you move on from Bubba Ventrone? Yeah, no, I'm good with it. I just, Um, I thought automatically he was gone. But I'm really excited about the offensive coordinator and quarterbacks coach hire because, again, that's where the well of head coaches are coming from in this league. We're going to see maybe, and and this is a little bit of a throwback, going to see the return of Pep Hamilton maybe? Woo! Didn't he just come from Houston? He uh, he was with Houston, right? He's yeah, their offensive he was, coordinator. He is the OC. I, I mean, the poor guy. Uh, he's been with like since he left the Colts. He's been with the Browns and the Texans, and you know these teams that aren't exactly the model of franchise stability, right? Not that the Colts were at the end of his tenure, but um, he was the quarterbacks coach for Steichen when Steichen was running the offense the last year with the Chargers. Mm. Um, so there's you know, the NFL coach. It, it's so incestuous, right? Like all these guys, if you've been around in the NFL for 20 years, chances are you've worked with just about everybody. Um, but I, I think that is one of the intriguing names when we're talking about potential coordinating hires and, and a little bit of a deep cut because Pep, of course, was here. God, is it like 10 years now uh, or almost 10 years ago yeah. back with those Grigson Pagano, uh, those early Andrew Luck teams. Could you imagine Philip Rivers as a quarterback coach? <laughs> I, I I need some dad gummits in my life again. I love Philip Rivers. I love him so uh, much. I Phil, come back, quarterback coach. The Philip Rivers era has really aged well, hasn't it? Yeah. Because I, I think when he was here in 2020, like we we talked so much about his limitations. Obviously, he was a limited guy at that point because he was old and and the arm strength wasn't where it was and the mobility was zero. I mean, he was never a guy that could really move. Right? He was a That's how good the line there, was, though. Right? Yeah. Remember how good exactly. that line was. He really, I thought, maximized what the Colts offense could possibly be. They squeezed every drop out of Rivers, I thought, in 2020. And the shortcomings of Wentz and then the complete disaster of Ryan, Ellinger, Foles, whoever else they threw out there in 2022, um, I think really kind of underlined the fact that they were – they were lucky to have to get what they got. I thought out of Philip Rivers that year. I, I would love to see him back with the organization. I think he'd be a terrific quarterback coach, especially for the young guy coming in. But um, yeah, I mean, he completed sixty nine percent of his passes. That was the best since Peyton Manning in two thousand nine. So I mean. I and it was a lot a of short teacher. stuff. I mean, the, the Colts were a big... A lot of short stuff, for they, sure. Yeah, the Colts were a yak offense that year where they, they just got yards after the catch. They were, I think they were top five in the league that year, if I remember right. And, and then, of course, that went completely down the tubes with, with Wentz, who would throw kind of hero ball and, and do all of that stuff. And then they had no passing offense, you know, whether it be downfield, short field, <laughs> whatever else, with this past season. So it'll, it'll be interesting to see it get back to um, being at a competent level, but just bringing, again, BK, kind of bringing this new quarterback along, whoever it is going to be, and trying to focus on, okay, this guy's new. What can he do well? You know, where can we take advantage of his NFL-ready skills right now and then develop the stuff that's not NFL-ready or that needs to get a lot better, uh, develop that, during that process and um i think steichen is the guy to lead this forward i think he's going to be really able to identify that because we just saw him identify that with jalen hurts who took off uh with rivers who's got a lot out of the the late years there with the chargers in 17 18 and 19 and then with justin herbert who was the offensive rookie of the year under steichen's tutelage that's Derek schultz i'm brendan king jimmy cook is here we gave you our opinions of the shane steichen press conference would love to hear yours at 3 
317-239-1070. We can lead off the phone calls right now. If you'd like to chime in, we got a few minutes. 317-239-1070. Jeff is with us here on The Fan. Jeff, what do you think of the press conference? Thanks for taking my call, guys. And the press conference was wildly impressive. Uh, Shane obviously is an intelligent young man, and I want to underline this word, passionate. And that's what we need is a passionate young head coach to drive this team in the future. Now, obviously, we're going to select a quarterback. We think he's the exact right man for him. And I'm just wildly ready to go for next season with this guy. Uh, you mentioned Philip Rivers. Let's don't forget Philip Rivers was in the last year of his deal or with the Colts, and he was 11 and five. 11 and five. How many of those seasons will we get? Thank you for my call. I appreciate it. Jeff, thanks so much. Jeff, wildly. I, I love uh, how many wildly feels like there. a dream, yeah. honestly, considering the last couple of years. Got a bunch of wildly. You know what? And. They should have, you know, should have, could have, would have, right? Ands and butts, candy and nuts, the whole deal. Um, they really should have won that game in Buffalo. There, there were there, there were a lot of things, and I know you're less of a Reich fan than I was. <laughs> there were a lot of things. I, I, that I liked Frank as a person. But the, the way that game was handled, I, I think you could really criticize Reich for. Um, I, I don't want to relive the whole thing over again, but that, that very easily could have been not only an 11-win season, but also a, a, a season where the Colts made the divisional round. Um, and obviously they, they've had one playoff win in the last eight seasons, so that would have been a banner year for where this franchise has been. Shane Steichen as a leader, though, I, the play calling, I, I can't wait to see it. And, and no, training camp, I think a lot of folks that come out to Grand Park are really going to be enticed by the sets that they see. And especially, again, you got to make the decision on the quarterback first. But just the creativity that you watch when you see the Eagles offense. And I get he's not bringing Jalen Hurts with him. He's not bringing A.J. Brown with him. But just to have that kind of young offensive mind here, it kind of feels like you're joining a club in a way. You know what I'm saying? You're, you're, you're joining the standard of the league, it seems. Yeah, you're not stuck in the past. Yeah. Um, there was a lot about, and maybe Jeff Saturday was never going to be the long-term guy. I know there was a lot of speculation about that, but there, there was a lot of this, that press conference, again, I, I know I'm like a broken record. I keep bringing up that press conference from November last year, Brendan, but um, oh, it's terrible. It, it, it felt like the Colts were taking 10 steps backwards during that press conference where Ursay's throwing water on analytics and he's talking about how he doesn't want, uh, you know, it's great that Saturday has no experience and, um, you know, Saturday's talking about how he's going to take the points all the time. Like those things, you need to put all that stuff in the past. That's that's 1980s. That's dead and buried NFL football. Um, we saw it in the Super Bowl. I mean, in the first half of that game, I'm not saying this was necessarily Steichen's decision, but he's on the staff with Sirianni. They're going for it on fourth and five and fourth and two. Mm-hmm. On uh, the first drive of the game, right? Or or early in that game, I have to go back and look at a play chart. And, you know, 20 years ago, you'd be watching that at home being like, Oh my God! What are they doing? You know, fourth and five. They played Madden. Holy there? crap! Yeah. yeah, and and now it's just like yeah, right. Fourth and five, or or you're running on third and six because you know you're about to go for it. <laughs> you know that who cares? Fourth and three, fourth. And, I don't care. We're gonna end up going for this, and and that's you can get burned by that. I'm not saying that this is the end all be all that you go for every fourth down and you never kick the field goal. I, I think that's what gets lost in the analytics conversation. People want to make it all about one thing or all about the other thing. It's not about looking in a binder to make every decision, but we have all of this information in front of us now, this new age analytics and and all of this, and you have to be open to those things. And I I think Steichen will be uh, when he's crafting this offense. 
Shane Steichen, the new head coach of the Indianapolis Colts, 317-239-1070 is the telephone number. If you'd like to chime in, we are with you until 3 here on the Fan Midday Show. Brendan King, Derek Schultz, and Jimmy Cook. Back to the phone lines we go. Right at the top, G is at 317-239-1070. G, go ahead. Hey, guys. Thanks for, thanks for taking my call, man. I hope you guys are not going to be working too hard. It's Valentine's Day, so don't get yourself into trouble. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> <laughs> Noted. <laughs> but I, I, you know what I wanted to – because I've seen a little bit of the press conference, and one thing that I noticed that the guy said about holding players, holding each other accountable, and the fact that the last two head coaches – I guess it could be kind of, you know, kind of be like, okay, are they really hold anybody accountable? I know Reich had that, you know, that quote-unquote uh, per- perception that he wasn't holding people accountable. And then Jeff Jeff Saturday, obviously he's a player's coach. Does you get that? Is he a player's coach, you know, personification, or is is he going to be strict and hold people accountable? How how you guys kind of weigh that as far as uh, with this new coach Steichen concerns? Is he going to scare some players off? Or what? Gee, thanks, th- thanks for the call. I, I think that's something he's got to figure out as a head coach. You you got to formulate your style, and you probably can't do that until you hit the locker room, right? Yeah, we still don't know. And and we're not going to know from a, what was it, 40-minute press conference, yeah. all the ins and outs and quirks of Shane Steichen's personality. But I, I think to kind of answer your question, G, what I'm hoping for is that Steichen is somewhere down the middle where obviously you have to – hold players accountable and and you're the captain of the ship right so you have to sometimes bang your fists on the table and put your foot down but there's also a balance uh where you don't want to be lighting people up all the time either because i don't think that's the right approach to just beat guys into the ground i think there's kind of a, a happy medium when it comes to that but i always find it interesting this conversation about holding people accountable and lighting a fire in everybody the most successful head coach that the colts ever had here in indianapolis was a guy that never did that you know, did Tony Dungy, Tony Dungy was like when, when you're, I, I always tell this story. Um, you were never a smoker, were you? No. I, okay. Unfortunately, I Do was. I look like one? I, yeah, no, I, <laughs> I, I was for a long time and I, I started back in high school and my parents weren't the big, like aggressive, like scream at you type people. They were the, I'm going to make you feel really, really bad about doing this and hope that you change your behavior. So I had a pack. My, my go-to brand then was I, I had camel menthols. It just it, I had piercings. It was a really bad time in my life. But anyway, I had camel menthols. And my mom found one of them, I guess. She had had to take my car to do something. And I had this little, I had an 89 Honda Accord. And there was something in the dash where I could hide the cigarette pack. But I don't know why she opened it out. I don't know. Maybe she was just rifling through my car. She put it <laughs> on my, my pillow in my room with a post-it note that had a sad face on it. And I was so devastated by that. But I actually like stopped smoking for like six months. Because I was just like, I don't want to disappoint my, my mom anymore. Tony Dungy, this is a really long-winded way to say that Tony Dungy and my mom are very similar. I think he had that kind of style where... Guys were held accountable by Dungy, not because he lit into them and screamed at them all the time. It's because guys were afraid to disappoint him. Mm. You know, they, they wanted they wanted to reach the expectations, the high expectations and the high bar that Dungy had set for them to go out and do their jobs and execute at a high level. And I, I think that's what you want in a head coach, not necessarily all the way Dungy or all the way Reich or then all the way screaming at you, you know, Mike Singletary or something like that level guy, but somewhere um, somewhere in the middle where guys are 
held accountable, yes, but they also have their own motivation and expectations of where their level has to be and, and where they have to perform. No Brian Kelly redface, Notre Dame versus US, <laughs> well, USF. Remember that? Yeah, His first ever uh, game. See, and there's the opposite end of the spectrum, yeah, right? right. Or, or Brian Kelly throwing his players under the bus all the time. And it doesn't appear that Steichen is going to be that guy. He's he's going to be much more like Reich in the um, taking ownership of when things go wrong. I really enjoyed when he shouted out literally every starter on the Eagles at a position. And he even shouted out Justin Herbert and a bunch of Charger guys. But he went through the entire offense of the Eagles, offensive line, wide receivers. He went down to the third running back, Boston Scott even so yeah. I, I loved that well that it's was not, a nice touch you know it's not the grammys you don't have a time limit right so you can right. just kind of go still, out there I, I don't know if i've ever yeah. heard a, a, no, a guy it, do that in a literally shout out your entire off now maybe he uh, another guy might mention a, their quarterback or their star running back he he went through the the left guard i mean yeah. everybody I, I just love it when people are humble they're not afraid to show their emotions they're grateful and i think steichen kind of showed all those things and they they give other people credit for their success instead of just saying oh i'm here because i'm i'm great i'm awesome i'm handsome whatever um i like the fact that he did that we'll see if he carries that out because you know press conferences what a press conference is there have been lots of guys who have won press conferences who have ended up being disastrous head coaches but so far so good bk on shane steichen i, I was really impressed i i enjoyed um, getting to know him for the first time in a 40-minute window there in that press conference. Derek Schultz, Brendan King, Jimmy Cook, DriveHubler.com studio. We got some IU basketball coming up, right? Jeff Rabjohns is going to join us, so we will take a pause on the Colts chatter for a moment to get into some Hoosiers hoops. Jeff Rabjohns from from Peaks is going to join us next here on The Fan. We got time for your phone calls a little bit later on in the show, so hang tight. 317-239-1070. We're back with Jeff Rabjohns next. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. I know Jimmy didn't time this, but Ride With Me actually came out in, I think, this the fall of 2000 when I was a senior in high school when my mom found those camel lights on my pillow. So it's actually a perfect transition into our next topic. We've been all Colts all the time. Shane Steichen introduced as the new head man, and we've got another half of the show to discuss that. But uh, Jimmy and, and Brendan and I had been on a, uh, a text thread uh, earlier this week, where we were talking about okay, who who do we want to do guest wise, and you know, obviously it was going to be Colts and and all of that with the news of the day. But I thought to myself, well, we got to have Jeff Rabjohns on. I mean, who knows how many times I'll be able to actually do this and fill in and get permission from my employer to come over here and and burn three hours on the radio. So you know, Jeff Rabjohns, of course, twenty four seven sports dot com and his great coverage of of Indiana Hoosiers have a juicy game tomorrow night in Evanston against the Northwestern team, feeling very very good about themselves coming off that court-storming win over number one Purdue, and he joins us now on the guest line. Jeff, it's great to talk to you, my man. How are you? Man, I'm terrific. I'm terrific. What a kind introduction. I should hire you to be my agent. Yeah, we can do that sometime. I I can (laughs) have it go to Schultz Media LLC like I have with this stuff. Um, Indiana, in an interesting spot here. They've won eight of nine. Uh, a really ugly finish between two tired teams, I thought, in Ann Arbor, but who cares? You, You get the road win at Michigan against a desperate team. 
I don't want to be the guy that necessarily knocks on previous regimes or anything like that, but I really feel like, Jeff, these last three games that they've won from the Maryland loss against Purdue, you have the lead throughout, and then Purdue climbs back and and breaks even, and then Indiana has to make plays down the stretch to win that game. Against Rutgers, where they've been a thorn in their side, and they're, they're just not going away, and Indiana, again, makes plays down the stretch to win that game. And then against Michigan, it wasn't really as much about Indiana making plays, at least not on the offensive end as much as it was I felt like they were just surviving those are three games to me that feel like maybe Mike Woodson and, and this staff is putting their stamp here on, on this program with where they are I, I'm not confident that this Indiana team of the last six seven years wins maybe any of those three games am, am I off my rocker no I think you're I think you're right um I think that's a very fair thing to say and I think there's a lot kind of baked into all that and um I think it's, you know, the players have confidence in Woodson. And, you know, they've kind of figured out a, uh, a, a trust among themselves, among each other. And they've kind of figured out exactly, you know, what he wants, how he's going to try to win. And, um, and, and you have Trace Jackson Davis playing like a national player of the year caliber kind of guy. You know that that's really helped as well. Sometimes it's been he gets a he gets a score late. Sometimes like against Michigan, it's that block. You know, um, in, in the last minute and a half or whatever. So uh, there's a number of different things that are part of that. But it, you know, it didn't happen much. You know, Archie Miller, you know, struggled in, in close games. Um, Tom Crean at the end, you know, his last year when they went to the NIT and then went down to Georgia Tech and, and lost, they, they struggled in close games. And now you see the opposite. You see a team that is finding a way to win. And and I think that's certainly, you know, a, 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 people call it an intangible. And I'm like, well, yeah, I guess in a way, but it is something. You know, there are teams that find ways to win close games and there are teams that don't. And right now, you know, Indiana is sitting there 18th in the country for a number of reasons one of which they've found ways to win the kind of games, like at Michigan, you know, like at home against Rutgers, that they usually lost in the past. Hey, Jeff, it's Brendan. For one, do you know the status of Race Thompson? And two, can they continue to grind out games like they did in Michigan without him? Um, uh, I think it's probably going to be game time decision for Race Thompson. I think that's most likely. Um, so we'll find, we'll find out, you know, Wednesday night. Um, can they grind out games? They can. It, it, it's more difficult, though, because, you know, he has veteran experience. He has veteran guile. Uh, he's been through all these venues multiple times. He's played against all these coaches multiple times. And I know sometimes people say, well, you know, he's a little slowed by his knee. He doesn't look the same. All that's true. But a veteran guy is still a veteran guy. And, you know, even if Malik Renault is, is quicker and you need to make an argument in some stretches that Malik Renault has played better basketball than Rick Thompson, um, you can make that case. But I think it's it's still, you know, it's easier to trick the freshman. If you're an opposing coach, it's easier to trick the freshman than the sixth year senior. Um, but I, I think uh, game time decision for him and, um, you know, if they have to go without him, then, 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 then that's that would be some more situation in Michigan. Maybe this is a question for when it's all said and done for Trace Jackson Davis, but in looking at just what he's been doing here and this stretch that he's been on this season and, you know, legacy, right? I mean, 
this is a sports radio show, for God's sake, right, Rabbi? I mean, th- this is what we talk about. What's the legacy of this player? What's the, the lasting memory of this player? Still some of this uh, TBD, because it's going to depend, I think, on what Indiana does in the tournament and, and all of that, too. But uh, this is special, right? The, the tear that he's been on here and putting the team on his back and really this 8-1 and one stretch here that has completely turned this season around when it looked like it was maybe going to be on the skids there at the beginning of the Big Ten portion of the schedule. Uh, yeah, yeah. I think that's that's very fair. And it's interesting when you talk about legacy um, or, or however, a lot of times we, that's the word we use, legacy, right? Well, what's the legacy of this player? Um, but I think if you, if I look at it in two ways, you know, uh, well, what's sort of an objective analysis and then how, how are the fans likely to remember a player? Because by any objective analysis, Trace Jackson Davis is having one of the greatest careers of all time in Indiana basketball. You know, he's, he's number one in blocks. He's going to be top five in scoring and in rebounding. Um, he's going to, he's the, already the only player with 2,000 rebounds and 1,000, or 2,000 points and 1,000 rebounds. So, I mean, he's up there. I mean, the only people who are above him in any meaningful category are people like Calvert Chaney, Steve Alford, Don Schlant, Alan Henderson, Walt Bellamy. You know, Archie D's. We're talking about the greatest of the greats. He's up there. But because they haven't won uh, a ton in the NCAA tournament, I think there are some fans who are going to love other players more, which is natural. It's, it's nostalgia. What is nostalgia? Remembering things that made you happy. Well, what makes fans happy? Well, in college basketball, winning the NCAA tournament game is pretty high up there. So I think he's going to be remembered uh, objectively as a great player. But I think, you know, how much he is revered or where he sits in the hearts of fans, I think part of that's going to be determined this year. If they make a big run, if they make a surprising run, then I think that will bring out the, the nostalgia-type love for Trace. But, but objectively, you know, and some people say, well, you know, I just, you know, I like the guys who I remember playing in the Final Four. That's fine to remember that. Every, every fan has the right to love whoever they want to love as far as players. But there's no way objectively you cannot you can say anything other than Trace Jackson Davis had one of the greatest careers of all time at Indiana University. Jeff was just about to ask you about a run a month from now, and you know going back to the Michigan game again, Trace Jackson Davis, Jalen Hood, Shafino, they combined for 49 points, and the five other players that touched the floor for Indiana scored a combined 13 points. Well, it, my question is. I realize Race Thompson didn't play in the status. Maybe in the future of Xavier Johnson is still up in the air. But this is what you got right now. So the five other guys on the floor combining for 13, is that sustainable? And can they win games like that when it's really crunch time? No, I don't I don't think so. I don't think it's sustainable. Because, because let's be really honest, you know, uh, in that Michigan game, you know, uh, Indiana holds Michigan scoreless for the final five minutes and 12 seconds. Um, now, and th- that's the way, you know, um, you know, it, it, it went down. But to be honest, there were a number of stretches there in the second half where you looked at Michigan and it kind of went, they're not playing well. And, and I was also like, what in the world are you doing? Stretch where Juwan Howard puts three of his best players on the bench uh, around 12 minutes ago, maybe something like that, you know, and he sits them on the bench for several minutes like with the idea of have them fresh for the, for the, for the stretch run. And it's like, that, that's an NBA idea. 
which makes a ton of sense in the NBA because the players are older, okay, most of them. Um, the games are 48 minutes, not 40. You have 82 of them, not 35, 36, something like that. So, yeah, having to rest your guys more frequently makes a ton of sense in the NBA. But, it, but it's, it's actually kind of silly in college. And so it, Michigan did make some mistakes. In Indiana did everything they needed to do to win, and they get credit for winning. But the question about, okay, is, is what happened in that game sustainable for IU? I don't think so because I don't think the other teams – are going to make similar mistakes or have similar long scoring droughts. You know, you go more than five minutes without without scoring. I mean, that that's a that's a rare thing in, in college basketball. That, that is, you know, you look at the advanced analytics. You know, that's one of the that's on the right side. You know, extended scoring droughts. Now, that's a long category. I think Indiana's going to get going to have to get more production. Um, you know, I think Miller Cop would be the first guy you look at. You know, he needs to make some shots. Um, and, and I, I think it would probably help them, uh, benefit them, you know, to run a little more action, to get him shots more frequently. Um, Indiana also only took six threes in that Michigan game. That's a very low number of three-point attempts. And it's very difficult to have uh, a, very, a highly, highly efficient offense when you take very few threes. Um, so I think you look at Miller Cop, he can get you some more threes. Uh, I, I certainly think, you know, Trey Galloway is very capable um, those are probably the two guys you look at the most. And then with Malik Renault, um, you know, he had some moments in, like in the Purdue game where, you know, he actually made a move on, on Zach Eady a couple times. And you say, okay, well, if he can do that twice in each half, there's eight points. You get eight points out of Malik Renault, that's starting to get pretty helpful. So I think there are ways they can do it. But I, I don't think you can be totally dependent and just say, okay, Trace Jackson, Davis, you know, you know, gentlemen, you have to go out and be Superman tonight. I don't think you can do that night in and night out. I don't think it's fair, and I don't think it's sustainable. Jeff Rabjohns is the publisher of Pigs.com, part of the 24-7 Sports Network covering IU. He joins us on the guest line on the Fan Midday Show. You mentioned Cop. Um, could he be that third guy? He, he seemingly has had his fingerprints on the last couple of wins. I mean, obviously the Rutgers win, but what he did defensively the other night against Michigan as well. Yeah, absolutely. Um, his defense in the second half, you know, he plays all 20 minutes of the second half at Michigan. Uh, he was on Jed Howard at times, and, you know, Jed Howard is projected to be uh, an NBA draft pick. And, you know, Cop did a really good job, a really, really good job. Uh, he played angles well. He anticipated well. Um, you know, Cop's not going to all of a sudden magically have NBA quickness. But his, his defensive awareness and his defensive positioning – really improved. It's that old thing of, you know, if, if the other guy's more athletic than you, you, you can you can still give your chance give yourself a chance to defend him if you really position yourself correctly and you really anticipate what's likely to happen. You're not gonna take everything away, you're not gonna stop the person. But if you really position yourself well and anticipate and study film and understand what's coming, you can make a lot of things very difficult. And I think, to me, that's maybe the biggest stride that Miller Cop has made under Mike Woodson is he now, as a defender, can most of the time make some things difficult for good offensive players. Jeff, if I told you that Indiana, Northwestern, and Evanston on February 15th was the battle for second place in the Big Ten, and I told you that in August, the reaction would have been what? Uh, the reaction would have been, what have you been doing, man? Did you go out to Vegas and get into the good coast for a month and lose your mind? 
Um, no, I shouldn't say that on the radio. I'm joking. I'm joking. Um, I, yeah, it, it's, it's incredibly, it, it's such a surprise because nobody projected this for Northwestern. Um, and it, it is really impressive what they've done. I think, you know, Audige and Bubui, you know, certainly have been terrific as a backcourt. And I think what's really interesting to me is, uh, you know, how how frequently they're running Zoom action. You know, um, Zoom is it's it's kind of like the um, uh, Purdue ran it really well when they had Carson Edwards, Ryan Klein, and that group. And it's basically you get the ball to a big, you know, somewhere around the the top of the key area, you know, and you got guards in each corner, guards in each wing, and you run pin downs and the guards come up, but one curls through the lane, the other comes around and gets a, gets a, gets a hand off. And then all of a sudden you've got, you know, a guy with a live dribble who can take it three a drive. You got a big who can pick and pop or, um, you know, uh, left side lane roll, middle roll. And then you've got your two other, you know, three other guys, you know, two wings and a guard. Um, who are moving to spots where they can either get open for a three or they can cut to the basket. But it's, it's really, really good action. And uh, I was looking at some analytics the other day, and I think they, in their most recent game, I think they ran it off almost half the time. Almost half their possessions were zoomed stuff. So they're running it really well. And it's tough to guard because if you go under screens, you know, they've got three-point shooters. They're sticking a three in your grill. Uh, if you go over screens and you're in trail position, they're just, you know, taking that hand off and turning the corner and just going right in the lane. Um, so it's really good stuff that they're running. And I think that they've, they've got guys who can, who can run it well. You know, they don't have a, uh, they don't have a Carson Edwards, you know, nobody does, but you know, they've got guys who are, you know, Ryan Klein level and, um, and Northwestern, you look at like the last five games. Um, I think it's the last five, might be last 10. But they are number one in the country in three pointers attempted off of dribble handoffs. And you remember with that Carson Edwards and Ryan Klein group, Carson Edwards is number one in the country. Ryan Klein was number two in the country in three pointers made off dribble handoffs. And it was all off that zoom action. So I think that's for Indiana. That's, I believe that's job one. You have to properly defend the zoom action because if you don't, I don't care if you win the rebounding battle. I don't care if you win the turnover battle. If you don't properly d- d- defend the zoom action, you're highly likely to lose the game no matter what else you do. So in my eyes, I think that's job one for Indiana going into the Northwestern game. Last thing, Jeff, about three weeks to go here in the regular season, and pretty soon it's going to be March. I'm hesitant to base all of my evaluation on the league on the tournament because the Big Ten, while they're going to have a bunch of teams in, they're probably going to have a bunch of teams on the seven, eight, nine line. Are you concerned at all about the league and and just the performance of any team, you know, whether it be Indiana or Purdue or Northwestern, any team that's going to be an NCAA tournament team with the way that the league is officiated, maybe compared to other leagues nationally? And I I know that's been a talking point. You know, we all know about the Big Ten's championship drought uh, for one of their teams. and, And a lot of people have talked about the physicality and what's allowed and what's not allowed as far as Big Ten officiating is concerned. Does that continue to be a concern for you? 100%. 100%. 100%. 100%. I think that's one of the things that the league is has to address, and, and they are working on it. You know, they brought in Terry Weimer, uh, who's very respected, been a Final Four official a number of times, and he's now the head of officiating. He's working to bring in more of the better officials from around the country. He's working to, um, you know, evaluate guys 
more, do more training in the offseason. Basically, anything you can do to, to improve the officiating. We, we've seen it. You know, um, guys like John Higgins, who I believe has the most Final Fours worked of any active Division One official, you know, they've been able to get him to do some Big Ten games, um, where before it just didn't happen. Um, but they still need more of the better officials to be involved with more Big Ten games. But there is a clear, concentrated effort. And it's one of those things that's like turning around an aircraft carrier. You know, you don't just spin the wheel and all of a sudden, boom, okay, now now, now we're going the other way. Uh, it's going to take a while to turn it, but there is concentrated effort. So I'm optimistic they get something done. But it's, that's just, that's early in the process. As far as the league goes, you know, it, it's still a concern. And because, you know, too many teams in the Big Ten still play tackle basketball, you know, where there's clutching and grabbing and holding and all this stuff on purpose. And it's just a stupid way to play the game. It's an awful way to play the game. It is an ugly way to play the game. Watch Alabama play. You know, passing, movement, shooting, spacing, getting space for guys to make dribble moves, getting space for guys to get shots. You know, other people are playing a much more modern brand of basketball. And and you see it impact the Big Ten in two main ways. Number one, in the NCAA tournament. You know, um, you know, team Big Ten teams that are used to getting away with certain things, going to a Big Ten tournament and do certain things, and all of a sudden, you know, they're like, "Well, wait a minute, well, why is that a foul now?" Well, because it is in pretty much every other league in college basketball. <laughs> you know, the Big Ten is the outlier. The Big Ten, from an officiating standpoint, is the problem. You know, some some I hear some people say, "Well, you know, they need to toughen up out there in the Pac-12 and in the SEC and in the Big 12 and in the Big East and in the ACC." And you're like, "Wait a minute, you want everybody else to change?" I mean, if, if you're sitting there as a league complaining about everybody else, maybe the problem is you. <laughs> um, so that's that's my opinion. I think the other way it shows up is, is in recruiting. You look at the five-star players, and the Big Ten oftentimes gets the fewest uh, of any league in the country. So it's one of those things where style of play – and I can tell you this, as much as I cover recruiting, I can tell you this too. Other schools – get clips of really rough physical Big Ten play, and they send them to kids that they're recruiting, who are, who are kids who are, let's say a kid is getting recruited by, I'm just making up Indiana, Purdue, Michigan, Michigan State, um, and uh, Virginia and Clemson. And what Virginia and Clemson would do is grab clips of really, really physical play involving those Big Ten teams and send them to their recruit and say, you want to get beat up every night like this? So the style of plays had an impact in, in how much top-end talent the Big Ten gets. Yeah, it doesn't surprise me that, yeah, they, I, I, that they would I, use it that. It is a concern. Yeah, I mean, it, 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 it just becomes, you know, at some point, it, it's not a narrative anymore. It's just reality because the results have, have backed that up, that there's been a, a little bit of a disconnect there between how good Big Ten teams have looked November through February and, and what has ended up happening in March. You can check out all of Jeff's work and his entire talented team of writers, Trevor Andershock, Jared Kelly, et cetera, over at Peegs.com, at Jeff Rabjohns on Twitter, Hoosiers and Cats tomorrow night, 9 o'clock tip from Evanston. Thanks so much, Jeff. Always great to catch up. Hey, man. Appreciate it. You guys have a great week. Talk to you. Thanks, Jeff. The great Jeff Rabjohns. It it bothers me that sometimes you'd be watching these games and it's barely even basketball. And then the first half will change to the second half. <laughs> you know, suddenly everything, everything that wasn't a foul in the first half becomes a foul in the second half. But 
you know, the way that um, I know we were on the Indiana topic there with, with Jeff Rabjohns, but the way that Northwestern beat up Zach Eady and really all teams really beat up Zach Eady, um, you want those things to be fouls. You, you don't want to give teams the benefit of the doubt just because the dude's seven four and he looks like a mountain. You want fouls to be fouls. And I think too often with either inconsistency or even wild swings in game in a 40 minute basketball game. There have been a lot of problems and, and a lot left to be desired when it comes to Big Ten officiating. I think that's how a lot of people feel. I know we feel that way at Hinkle Fieldhouse too. But so I think it's uh, I think it's universal, Schulte. Yeah, maybe just a college basketball thing. You have any buddies that rushed the court the other night for Xavier? Uh, well, I, as you know, I, I, I do some uh, advisory work for my old fraternity as the as the house dad. So yeah, I, I knew some guys on I the did, floor. I did not know you were a house dad. Yeah, I know most of your LinkedIn page, but I did not know house dad. It, it, house dad is not on the LinkedIn yeah, page, okay. <laughs> but I, I do enjoy it. But no, they had a good time. I was happy for them. I was I, happy. I, I will say, I uh, I did not stay at the house that night. Gotcha. Well, it was a relief, I think, to with the the season being as rocky as it is and the fact really that Butler's been run off the court uh, they a lot it. this year it was kind of a an exhale i feel like for everybody involved in, with Butler the kids the kids deserved it especially the juniors and seniors that came in during the peak of covid but we have a lot of dumb conversations when it comes to sports radio and I know that even as a host that sometimes I bring up stupid things, but the one that just drives me up the wall is the whole court storming. Well, should they should they storm the court? I mean, come on, look at this pro. <laughs> they were in the final four back to back years. Yeah, so who right. cares, guys? It, it's twenty year old kids. Who cares? It's fun. Have you court stormed before, by the way? We beat number one Villanova my senior year. Yeah, okay, we did it. Was that the Jorgensen game where he hit the three no, from the dogs? It, it was the one okay. before. The it was the Kamar that. Baldwin up and under. Gotcha. Game. Yeah. And he was just a freshman then, right? Yeah, I, yeah. I was at that game as well. Oh, you were there. So you. I didn't court you storm. You probably saw me act like an idiot. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I was the kid wearing a corduroy blue suit okay. in the dog pound. That was. Yeah, I was. I was the guy wearing blue. Um, I remember the Butler Gonzaga game from Rosie Jones yeah. buzzer beater as well, which was also. You a court were there, storm. right? Jimmy? I. So, I, I fake court stormed because we were down low on the lower level so we stormed with the students but i was a senior in high school at the time rose still but this is weird the only time i ever stormed the court and i have really no affiliation to notre dame basketball whatsoever but my folks are from south bend and my dad's best friend from high school we always called him uncle steve and his son was my age and he was at notre dame and i was a senior in high school and he's like hey let's go to a game it was like the troy murphy notre dame teams Mm -hmm. martina inglesby hit a runner to beat troy bell's boston college team to give notre dame the outright big east lead and we were in the student section everybody started running so i was like i'm gonna rush too (laughs) and it was great it was a lot of fun to rush the court i can understand why people want to do it and i don't know why everybody gets kind of all in a tizzy about it like some kid in indiana is supposed to care about what indiana was in 1993 like i i was a student in in indiana in the 2000s and and i desperately wanted to rush the court they didn't give yeah. me a lot of reason to rush the court but i would have happily done it so just those one of those the, conversations uh, that i can't stand those were the joy center days joy center yeah um the big like retro 70s bubble yeah. basically yeah i love the joy center that's Derek schultz i'm brendan king jimmy cook is here quick time out mike chapel's coming up at two o'clock and again your input later on in the 230 hour shane steichen the new head coach of the indianapolis colts back next whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits long live listening to your favorites learn more about Kaskali ribocyclob 200 milligrams at kisqali.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you 
Brendan King, Derek Schultz, Jimmy Cook, DriveHubler.com studio. Mike Chappell coming up in just a few minutes. Chappie calling in from the Colts Complex, I'm sure, where he's working on his story post Shane Steichen introductory press conference with Chris Ballard and Jim Ursay. Liked what we heard out of Shane Steichen, but of course there is a long way to go, including probably drafting a quarterback. And I will say, I am a... Take the Schultz- probably right out of it. I, I, yeah, I... I will say, I am a Bryce Young supporter. I'm a Bryce Young fan. I'm a Bryce Young diehard, specifically in a Colts uniform. So to hear Jim Irsay say that today, yeah. that, that brought a little smile on my face. I worry about him holding up physically. I get so it. I'm more I of a Stroud it. guy, but I'm not shut off to I'm not shut off to any of these four guys, honestly. Um, it was kind of like the head coaching search for me. Just just pick somebody and, and let's go. And you know, let, let's move on. Let's turn the page and let's finally start this new era of Colts football because it feels like ever since the early luck years, we've been waiting uh, collectively in this city for the Colts to move on to the next thing and they're just stuck in the mud. I want to get out of the mud. I'm tired of them spinning their wheels. We will talk about that and more with the great Mike Chappell. That's coming up next right here at the top of the hour. Brendan King, Derek Schultz, Jimmy Cook coming back with Chappie next. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Final hour. Fan Midday Show alongside the talented and capable Brendan King. I am the less so Derek Schultz. Jimmy Cook oh, here as well, running the controls. Back to B, I, I was getting some text messages. I appreciate people being like, hey, you know, it's cool to hear you back on the radio or whatever again. Um, I just like the fact that I have the opportunity to just hop on the bike and see if I can still like pedal it and not fall over and scrape my knee and oh, you're kicking butt, man. fall into the gutter or anything like that. So it, it is fun to kind of hop on here and play pretend for another three hours. And what a day to do it, right? Shane Steichen announced as the new Colts head coach. We talked a little college hoops, our only departure from the Colts today with Jeff Rabjohns. But the guest parade continues next with uh, a longtime friend of mine and a longtime coverer of the Colts, the dean of Colts coverage, as you will, and no stranger to this station. It's our friend Mike Chappell, fresh off that press conference. And Chap, I, I actually love the fact before we get to, you know, Shane Steichen and, and football stuff, I know that people are going to approach it maybe differently. I love the fact that Shane Steichen wore his emotions on his sleeve and seemed very humble and had a laundry list of of people to thank as well. I barely know anything about Shane Steichen, and I'm not going to pretend like a 40-minute press conference is going to tell me everything I need to know about the man, but first impression for me, I, I just like the way that he presented himself personally. How did you feel about it from being in the room there over at West 56th Street? Yeah, same. There were, gosh four or five, ten times that he really was choked up and he sort of had to gather himself. Of course, he also had his little daughter uh, prancing in front of him, waving at him, which probably got him a little bit more. But yeah, it's, and, and that's what this time is for. That, that's what this occasion is for. It's, this is the pinnacle of his athletic career. This is this is what he, he set out to do. And he took, I don't know, two or three minutes to thank everybody from his high school coach to Nick Sirianni and everybody in between. So, and it was obvious that it, it meant something to him. Now, part of it might be that he's probably running on fumes from, from the last few days, but still, it's always good to see the personal side of someone because generally once we get into 
a season or whatever, you just don't get those opportunities because they're locked into what they're doing. Today was a perfect opportunity to do that, to, to show who he is. And I thought for the most part he did. Hey, Chap, from a broad perspective, what did you just think of the guy in general terms? You, you cut it out on me. What was that? I'm sorry. Sorry, Chap. In general terms and just being broad, what did you think of the guy? Uh, very deliberate. Again, you get past the emotion, and, and this guy's going to be – he's going to sort of be like Frank that he's going to wear our ass out on process, detail, preparation – takes you to Sunday. If you don't like that, then this guy's going to wear you out. But that, that's that's what it is. It, it's, and I think the difference is going to be is he's a little more uh, demonstrative than Frank. Certainly on the sideline, I think he will be. I don't know that he will be interacting with us. But he's just a very detailed guy. He knows what got him here. He knows what's going to make him help him succeed here. And, you know, we've had all the different kind of guys who've been humorous and, and, and all that. And that's fine. But once you get past the, 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 the facade of, of what they put out there, who are they? Can they win? Do they do this the right way? Do they? And he talked accountability. The last couple of years, what we've really heard from the Colts complex second hand is that there wasn't enough accountability when someone screwed up. I'm still not sure that we're going to get that on a Wednesday press conference that, hey, this guy messed up and we're going to hold him accountable. I don't think a coach has to do that in public, but the coach has got to hold players accountable in meetings in in position meetings and team meetings and I get the impression that's what he's going to do that's what Nick Sirianni did here with his receivers and the offensive players so uh, there's a way to do it it's not to belittle players in public but you hold people accountable and and from what a lot of people have said that was less and less the case the last the last few years with Frank and if that if that's true, then that can't be that way. So I'm kind of looking forward to the new coach really holding guys accountable. There has been a lot to criticize, especially in the last year for the Colts with how they've handled things. Jim Irsay naming Jeff Saturday the interim coach, which was widely poked fun at and made to be a fiasco. And of course, given the results, it ended up being kind of a fiasco. And just in general, uh, with how this franchise has done things, chap. But just looking at this process, and I get that there are results to come and, and there are all these things that are, that are going to be able to judge whether Shane Steichen was the right hire. But just when you look at this process, this very deliberate, drawn-out process that the Colts had here, and Ursay delegating apparently to Chris Boward and the wide net that they ended up casting and landing on Shane Steichen. Did the Colts handle this process well in your mind? I think so. I mean, we in the media and the fan base were impatient. We want things done immediately. And... I know Chris Ballard was defending what he did, but he said it's, it's not. It, what's important is to get it right, and it's not to be for certainly not in a coaching search. And the only reason you want to be sooner rather than later is if you, if you lose your guy because he goes somewhere else. 
but it's about getting it right. It just is. Uh, did they take it too? Were they too thorough? I don't know. I don't know if you can be too thorough. This is, you know, wherever this franchise goes from now until in the next 10 years, the first thing they have to get right is the coach, and we'll see. And the second thing is the quarterback in April. If they, I still believe if they don't get the quarterback right in April, it's going to be hard for this coach to succeed, just like it was with Frank. I've never – I've tried not to be the guy that – one of the guys that piles on Frank. I still think he's a, he's a top-level play caller. He's a top-level offensive mind. But when you've got eight different starting quarterbacks and five full-timers, it's tough. And let's be honest. Part of that was Frank's fault. He, you know, Philip Rivers was still a good move at the time. Carson Wentz didn't work. Fall by and large. Uh, so, but I, I just kind of see the head coach go through five head coaches and not exactly five top level for uh, quarterbacks and succeed. So, again, you know, Frank had a winning record here. It just didn't – it certainly didn't end well or like he had hoped it would. But if you, if you can't get the quarterback thing stabilized, you have little chance to succeed. They've got to get the quarterback right in April. They have to. Chap, from one of his answers, he sounded pretty confident in that he's going to call plays. I mean, he really did not hesitate when Kevin asked him that question. I mean, he was – the decision seemed like it was made pretty quickly that he's going to call plays. Yeah, I mean, it was asked, and he said, yeah, I will call plays. Uh, will that change? I don't know. I mean, not this year, but maybe next year. Uh, Nick Sirianni called plays his first year in Philly and then at some point gave him up to uh, to Steichen. So we'll see. We'll see. But I think it's just a case of, this will be his offense. It will be new to everybody, and he's going to want to have as much control of it as possible. Now, maybe he'll find out, as maybe Nick did, that there's so much going on during the game that it's really hard to just concentrate on the offense and, and be able to do everything else super. But, yeah, initially he's going to be the guy – and I think that's, you know, I don't think that's a surprise. We'll see if he grows away from that once he gets his coordinator in here and that guy gains his trust as a play caller. Speaking of no surprises, I know that they didn't commit to this, but the fact that Gus Bradley was there and that it seemed that he was involved in, in this whole process leads me to believe that Gus Bradley is going to end up being retained. Um is that an advantage for somebody like Shane Steichen, Chap, in, in the fact that here's a first-time head coach and inheriting defensive coordinators, it feels like the Colts have had a trend of doing this. I know the Matt Eberflus situation was was a bit unique given what happened there with, with Josh McDaniels, but is that actually an advantage for a first-time head coach to have somebody that already knows your personnel, that's been around the block, across the league, and frankly had a, a nice unit last year unfortunately that was you know kind of had their legs cut out from under them when it comes to that incompetent offense that they had well yeah and on top of that they've got a history with the chargers so they, they've worked together and that's it, it i think in in on the bigger you know bigger scope what it does is 
it's going to allow Steichen to, to, to really focus on the offense. And, and, yes, he's got to take care of the whole team. That's one thing I ask him is, you know, all of a sudden you're going from managing your little neighborhood to the entire city from a coordinator to a head coach. But but having a coordinator in place, like you said, no, it's his defense. He knows the personnel. He can make suggestions or advice on what player moves to make or which guys to bring back. But it really allows the new head coach, at least initially, to really hone in on the offense, what changes need to be made, what are they going to do at quarterback, because he'll be heavily, heavily involved in the evaluation of the draft class. So in that regard, it is. And also, you're not having an entire new staff. It's not everybody's not doing the building. So, and I talked to Gus after the press conference, he was there, and he, he wouldn't comment whether they've had, you know, I said, you're going to be back? He said, well, we'll see. He said, but, but Shane and I have talked. So it just makes sense to do that. And now whether Gus brings his staff back intact, whether a couple guys leave for somewhere else, I don't know, but I agree with you. Defense was not the problem last year. Yeah, at the end of the season, it was. Everything was. But that defense was playoff caliber until it simply wore down having to carry an awful offense and an injury started piling up. And, oh, by the way, it didn't have Shaq Leonard the entire year. So it will be a plus. And it will be a plus, too, if they maintain Bubba Ventron. You know, he's, he, he won't be here much longer. If he's still back, I hope he is. He, he will start getting interviews elsewhere as a head coach. So it, it, it'll be a really good staff, but it, it does allow – that would allow, again, the head coach to really focus initially on his area of expertise and let the other areas sort of grow from what they had last year. Chep, a couple times in the press conference, Chris Ballard was saying that him and Jim Ursay were, you know, quote, on the same page, whether that was talking after the year in Houston and then meeting together to talk about the coaching search. I know that I, that was maybe up in the air before Ursay talked about that Ballard was going to come back. Do you get the sense that those two are truly on the same page together? Yeah, I th- yes, I, I do. I do, and hopefully, my hope is that the, the the owner goes back to being an owner primarily and allows the people he's hired to do their job. I thought last in the last 13 months, whatever it's been, the owner has allowed his, his emotions to kind of guide things, and that's never that's never a good thing. You know, again, with Carson Wentz, which I think most people in the organization were on board with moving on from him, starring Frank, that, that was the owner. You know, and Benjamin Ryan, that was the owner. And bringing in Jess Saturday, well, that was the owner. It just, it just sort of cuts the legs out from under your GM. I think in this instance that they have, he did allow Chris certainly to, to run the, the early portions of, it, of, of the uh, process. And then the owner got more involved second round where he was he was talking to these guys and you know they flew to Philly that Friday before you know two Fridays before the Super Bowl and, and but, but, it, but 
it's, you've got to have in, input. It's your team. It's your business. But if you trust Chris Ballard, then trust him. Trust him to make that call because I tell you, it, it, if the head coach and the GM don't mesh, again, it just it's it's hard anyway. It just is. But if you got a GM who has a head coach forced on him or reluctantly accepts that guy, it's just tough. So I do think that that Ursay let him make this call with a lot of input. And say okay, then then you, you make the call. And you know that might be with the quarterback too. Uh, and, and if I'm Chris Ballard, and, and this is, you know, his shot to, to maintain his job in the long term, I want to go down with my head coach and my quarterback. This one doesn't work. You say, well, I had my guys. And if it doesn't, if it, if it does work, then, you know, then good for everybody. But if, it, if it's going to fail, I want to fail with my guys. And I, I hope. There will still be times when the owner has needs to step in, intervene, and, and assert his authority. But by and large, you've got a GM for a reason. Let him do his job. And if at some point you don't trust him to do his job, you fire him. Mike Chappell joins us on the guest line, covers the Colts for Fox 59 and CBS4 at the Shane Steichen introductory press conference earlier this afternoon. Mike, the Matt Ryan situation, it's kind of one of these things that's in, in the background, right? We know Matt Ryan's not going to be the QB1 for the Colts last year, next year, but he's still under contract. Doesn't appear to want to retire, and he's got 12 million reasons why that's the case. He's also got a roster bonus coming up, I think, in March, which is going to be another $6, 7000000 million like that. What do you think is the most likely scenario that the Colts just end up eating all of that or that they bring him back as sort of a, a mentor role? I guess if Ryan wants to do that, maybe that depends on some of his motivation there with whoever the new quarterback is going to be for 2023. It's a good question. We were talking about that in the press room today because there will be a veteran quarterback here in, 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 the, in the coming you know, month or so because you got to have somebody to be that, you know, the old bridge that we talk about. With Matt Ryan, it's if I've got it right, he counts thirty-five million against the cap next year. Eighteen million is guaranteed. It's guaranteed. If you cut him, he saves seventeen million. If he's on the roster in the new league year in middle of March, that extra seventeen becomes guaranteed. I, I there would be no better uh, mentor for a young quarterback than Matt Ryan. I mean, none. He, he would be great. Now, whether he wants to come back here, money aside, whether he wants to come back here and and, and be the guy that kind of starts the season, and then at some point, if the guy's ready, you you, you see the starting job. I don't know, but if it's not Matt Ryan, it's going to be somebody. I pick a name out of it. I don't know. You know the Marcus Mariotas and Andy Dalton's and say Gardner Minshew. You know. Shane Steichen knows Gardner Minshew. Yeah. Uh, are, are you willing to pay Gardner Minshew $10 million or whatever? I don't know. But uh, Matt Ryan's interesting. I don't think Nick Foles comes back. I just don't. He was here for Frank. I don't know that he had the same uh, relationship with, with Steichen. And I'm not sure that Nick Foles showed me enough last year to think that that would be wise anyway. Matt Ryan's really interesting. He was He was – Large, 
not largely, but often ineffective because of the people around him. So whether you think he could be that guy, I don't know. Whether he would want to come back in that situation, I don't know. But very interesting. But somebody will be here next year, whether it's Ryan or not, I really don't know. Chap, last thing for me, Steichen spent a little bit of time talking about his experience coaching on the defensive side of the ball before he went full-time to offensive. I know it was only two years, but a lot of these young offensive minds that are getting hired, I don't know if they necessarily have even that lick of experience on the defensive side of the ball per se. So does that give you hope that maybe the transition to being a head coach can be easier in this sense since he's had both phases experienced? It doesn't hurt. Again, my, my biggest question is, again, the one that I ask him is, is how difficult will the transition be from being only an offensive guy to now you've got the entire organization? There'll be times when he's doing his job during the coming weeks where somebody's going to say, well, what are we doing about this? Whether it's practice, whether it's training, he'd say, well, I don't, you know, let me think about that. Because that's not been his issue before. Tony Dungy always used to tell me that when he was first to coach they would come and ask, well, what color do you want your office? He says, well, why do I care? Well, you need to care. So there's so so much minutia that the head coach now does. I, I think he'll do a good job. He's been around. Again, he saw Nick Suriani go from coordinator to head coach, and I'm sure they've talked I'm sure they've talked about. Now, you know, when you go to the head coach, this is, this is on your plate, this is on your plate. So I, I think all of that will matter. The defense isn't going to hurt. But I'm really looking forward to seeing how his ability to work with quarterbacks, you know, Phillip Rivers and Justin Herbert and and, and, and Jalen Hurts, because the guy, again, his ability to nurture this quarterback is going to be critical. Who's his offensive coordinator? I'm guessing it's somebody from the Philly staff. We were, we were talking that, you know, maybe an Aaron Moorhead who was their receivers coach. I mean, he was here for four years, and I interacted with him. He's a great guy. Or is it Kevin Petullo? Maybe he comes back here. So it'll be it'll be somebody from his staff in Philly. But this will be Shane Steichen's offense. He'll have a hand. His handprints will be all over it. But he's got to have a coordinator who he trusts. Frank had that with Nick Sirianni. And I think part of the reason the offense slipped a little bit the last few years was Nick being gone. Uh, but but uh, you, you need to have a guy you trust. And that's why these guys always surround themselves with guys that they've been around, that they know, that they trust. Uh, again, a good reason that Gus Bradley is probably back because they, they've worked together before and, and Shane has seen how Gus works. So. I'm really curious to see how this offensive staff comes. You know, does Reggie Wayne come back? Mm-hmm. I would think if Reggie wants to come back, Reggie comes back, but we'll see. When Shen Seiken takes the field as the Colts' new head coach, it will begin the 40th season of Mike Chappell covering the Colts. He hasn't done all of that with Fox 59 and CBS 4, but that's his current capacity. At M. Chappell with two L's, 51 on Twitter, and then the 59 and 4 websites for all of his work. Always appreciate it, Chap. Thanks so much for coming on today. On a busy day for you. Stay in touch, guys. Be well. Thanks, Chap. That's our friend. Mike Chappell, and we've got plenty more to talk about when it comes to Shane Steichen and the Colts and moving forward. 
as we conclude the third and final hour of the show. And your phone calls as well, 239-1070. Alongside Brendan King, I'm Derek Schultz. It's the Fan Midday Show, and it rolls along next here on 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. You're making us part of your afternoon here on the Fan Midday Show. I'm Derek Schultz filling in. Brendan King, a familiar voice to all of you if you listen to this show. Jimmy Cook as well, running the controls. we got to do something about the rejoins um, with, with that. I, I've kind of liked them so far, but that one was a... That was a miss for me. Well, it was it was a panic, but I'm not gonna have you like you know punch down on Earth, Wind, and Fire here or something it's like it's all high and mighty over there. You think you the, could just walk in here and what is this? That's, that's exactly, his region. What is this? It's exactly what I think. I'm just gonna walk in here and dictate everything. <laughs> it's I wild, wild west. You let me choose my now. chair. Can I choose the rejoin music it's, as well? It's Will Smith. The rest of you know you're not John. You're, you're not J, J, only JMV can can choose his rejoiners. I have noticed though here in the chair, I made the wrong choice because. Brendan, you know, if you guys are in your car listening, you have no idea what I'm talking about. But if you're watching on the YouTube stream, which we have a very active live chat apparently on the YouTube stream, Brendan, I, you have great hair, so that helps. I, I do not have great hair, but you've got the backdrop of the logo and like your hair wafting there and perfect lighting. And here I am, like kind of like a troll in the dark. Looks like you guys are in two separate spots. Yeah, yeah, yeah. like. <laughs> We need to get. We're some doing of those, it. It's COVID. We're doing it remotely. We need like a ring light. Like I want people to to know that not only is this voice super like you have pores too, sexy, sultry, all of that, Woo! but I, I have the face that kind of matches it too. It, well, it part is of the Valentine's total package. Day. Exactly. Are you doing anything to Jimmy? You're married, right? I am. Okay, you're not. You're married. not married. Not married. Okay. Well, are you doing anything for Valentine's Day though, BK? Uh no. I'm not. I, I didn't know if you wanted me to mention that publicly, but I no, just but I went okay. for it anyway. It's okay. <laughs> Jimmy, what do you do for – do you and your wife have like a go-to Valentine's Day thing? Or I, is Valentine's Day a big deal? It is. Um, flowers, chocolates, all that fun stuff. I'm going to be cooking tonight. I, it's going to be warm enough. I think I'm going to break out the grill, some burgers and some brats. Oh, boy. And then um, part of that was people are well more prepared than I was, but by apparently the second week of January, you shouldn't be trying to book reservations at uh, yeah. nice yeah. restaurants. No, that I've was my that fault. Before. So, so we're now going on Thursday um, uh, to Roma uh, in Carmel. Oh, nice. So, That's a nice. great spot. Uh, make dinner, figure at home, and then still get the reservation and I kind of want to eat on Thursday. Burgers and brats. I want to be your Valentine if you're going to make <laughs> grill burgers and brats in February. That's well, like, well, I would have invited you to not undercut my last region. <laughs> that's right. You, <laughs> you know, I've kind of noticed that I only work with two people at a time in the studio who are married. Like the last time this happened was Vince Welch was here, yeah. and I w- I was just getting roasted for being single, and then so yeah. I, I I'm just man. No man, live, live your life. You still have the great hair. You're still young. You're a rising baseball broadcasting star. What? I'm jealous of you in a lot of ways, man. Oh, come on. I go to bed at 930 every night. That's okay. <laughs> so There's you've got a, a far more interesting life than what I've got going on. Well, right the kids now. where you at, right? Well, yeah, it, just one, thankfully. Just, oh, just individual. One, okay. Yes. Yeah. Um, well, the kid wears you out. Cattle cover them. Yes. Just the kid. The kid does wear me out. Just one active six-year-old ends up wearing me out. But I'll, I'll be 40 later this month. So. Yeah. Yeah. I made it. Congratulations. I, made it. I still have most of my hair. Uh, it is going gray, but okay. still have most hey, of Hey, you it. look great. But happy, thank you for saying that. Happy Valentine's Day well, to all well, of you out there. It's probably, a, you're you're older than Shane Steichen. I am, which is weird. It, it's weird when you get to, the, the first stage of that is when you start becoming 
way more older than than the uh, college athletes, right? Or just professional athletes. And then professional athletes, and then you start becoming older than coaches, and then it gets really weird. Um, But yeah, that's kind of just... That's where I'm at. It used to be weird to me that I'd see people that were born in the 90s, like, oh my God, they're born in the 90s? And now I mean, us too. these athletes are born in the 2000s. Yeah. You know, in a lot of cases, and that's. Uh, there, oh, are no well, happy, getting there are no happy feelings opening a program and looking at the date of births on player rosters at the end. Like that, that's a feeling that everybody has at some point. Well, here's something really awkward for you. We're going to, our opening day roster this year, it's going to have a bunch of former Cubs high school draft picks, and there's going to be, Schultz, I can't believe I'm saying this, there's going to be some 2003s on that roster. Oh, boy. So they were maybe not even born for the Mark Pryor, Kerry Wood? Correct. Well, my Steve thing Bartman. is, like, the, the the guys on campus, like, a lot of them were not alive on 9-11, which, was, which is yeah. really weird. That That is... It's it's definitely strange. I mean, we're we're getting to the point now, guys. This is kind of sad See, to we say. We can connect with you on this. Don't feel too bad. <laughs> this is sad. as we bring it back to the Colts. We're, we're kind of getting to the point now. Like, if you're in high school, the the Colts Super Bowl run in the Manning years, you were like a little kid for all of that. You know, like 2006 was that that championship was. What are we talking about here? 16 years ago? Yeah, I was 12. So. Like, it doesn't feel that long ago, but then you look at it and you're like, oh my God, that was a long, long time ago um, when that, that happened. And, and hopefully they change and hopefully we can finally turn the page on this franchise here with Shane Steichen and a, and a new quarterback. And the, the theme of the show today, if you're just joining us on the Fan Midday Show, has been optimism. We're happy. We're looking forward. We're hopeful to what the next chapter of Colts football is going to be because they've written us a really crappy book these last eight years where there have been a few bright spots. The 2018 season was a really fun season. I mean, they started one in five and then they they had that big winning streak and, and rallied to the playoffs. They went to Houston and destroyed the Texans and then I, I thought presented themselves well against a, a really good Chiefs team at Arrowhead in the divisional. And 2020, I think, was kind of an out-of-nowhere season where Phillip Rivers came in and we didn't know how much he had left in the tank and they won 11 games and they pushed Buffalo in the wild card round. But really, outside of that, it's been a lot of bleh. I mean, it's been last year where they were the worst team in the league. Uh, 2021, where they collapsed into the fetal position in late December with, with Wentz and a, a passing offense that went completely away weeks before that. 2017 with luck and the injury, 2019 with luck and the retirement, and then 2015 and 2016 when you still had Chuck Pagano and the the most unfun, unexciting, average 8-8 eight and eight football team for back-to-back years in the NFL's crappiest division where they got beat in back-to-back years by Brock Osweiler and Brandon Whedon at home in December against the Texans and lost the division because of both of those games. So... There's the whole history. I mean, eight years of this slog of Colts football that has included zero division championships and one playoff win. But we're not talking about that anymore. We're moving on to the next thing. And Shane Steichen and this offensive wonderkind and whoever the quarterback is going to be. But really, Brendan, that's what it comes down to now. We finally have an answer after you know a month and a half, essentially, of this search, a very long, tedious, thorough coaching search. Now the next question is, okay, who's under center? Because where the Colts are going in the future, it's it's all going to matter. On you don't you don't just have to get Shane Steichen right. You got to get the QB right too. Well, and folks around here should be able to enjoy this it. kind of the court storming conversation we were having earlier. If you've been in college the last three years, that means you entered college during the peak of COVID. You had all the restrictions. Probably had to wear a mask in class. You probably had to do classes online, and you know you just didn't get that 
full college normal experience and kind of the same thing. Colts fans, especially kids, have not gotten a great experience over the last few years. Really, the only happy time was Phil Rivers making the playoffs. But other than that, you've been pretty disappointed, especially if you're a young Colts fan. So they should enjoy a day like today where you get maybe the next big thing coming to Indianapolis. And by the way, the Cardinals are hiring Jonathan Gannon. So Philly, Philly is losing both of their coordinators. And that's it for the NFL coaching cycle. That's it. That's it. We're Cardinals, done. Cardinals and Colts. Happy Valentine's Day. We're the last two, and they both wrap up within, what, three hours of each other. Yeah, so and from the same team. Pretty incredible that it ended up going that way. And now it's officially, what, draft season, right? We can start talking about the quarterbacks every single day on this show for I mean, whoever, whoever the hosts are. <laughs> Every single day for the next four months. Well, we'd love to have you back. But yeah, I mean, the combine is going to be here before you know it. And you're going to be able to see Bryce Young and CJ Stroud and Will Levis and Anthony Richardson and Hennon Hooker and and Indianapolis. And that's going to be an exciting time. I mean, Bryce Young Young has had quite the history here already. I mean, won a national. That's right. Didn't win a national championship here, but he played in the national championship here. And, you know, hopefully from my end, hopefully he's the quarterback here. So you're a Bryce Young guy. Bryce Young guy. I would consider myself this is going to be the ultimate cop-out. Like, I'm straddling the fence here. I, I think I'm a Stroud guy. That's good. But I am very intrigued by Richardson, especially with Steichen. Uh, yeah, I, I know a lot if, of people that, that ends are up in, being the, in the, the same camp. Yeah, if that ends up being the Jimmy, what about you? Do you have one that you like? I, I know you're all like, yeah, Chiefs, uh, <laughs> Chiefs Kingdom, Super Bowl champ. You know, you don't care, but... I've bounced back and forth between Stroud and Young. Does the height thing really matter that much? Is the thing I keep coming to, and and, and old wisdom or veiling wisdom will say yes, it does, and maybe that ends up impacting Young. So I'd probably play it safe and go Stroud, and the reason is because my last test for him, how does he do against an NFL ready defense or as close to it as you're going to get against Georgia? And he carved them up for most of that game, yeah. so it, it it alleviated any worries I have there. Don't think you can go wrong either way with Young or Stroud, but. Stroud's where I would lean. I just have luck PTSD. I, I can't do it again with the – and I, obviously luck is a much bigger guy than than Young. I, I can't do the oft-injured quarterback thing again. I, I, don't, I don't want that. I don't want that stress and frustration. You know, guys don't want to be hurt, obviously, but that's just what I worry about with Young, just kind of physically sort of holding up and, and being – there's not much of a track record when it comes to the shorter-end quarterbacks, right? Because people would say, well, Breeze, okay – Next, like, uh, yeah, give me, give me another one. But, like that, that's the exception, not the rule. That's the problem, isn't it? Though, if your offensive line is going to continue to regress, you better hope that the Colts' offensive line is a comeback year next year. And whether that's Ryman in year two getting a little bit more comfortable, Quentin Nelson maybe fully being healthy, uh, Ryan Kelly coming back to form. I don't know what Will Fries is going to be. And then, I, to me, Braden Smith has been the most disappointing out of all of them. But you got to hope that your line doesn't continue to regress or else you're in luck 2.0. Yeah, absolutely. And I do think that there, if there's one thing that the Colts did, at least at a defensible level in the Jeff Saturday era, it seems that they found themselves a little bit offensive line-wise. Now, that's not saying much because they were so god-awful <laughs> in the first, what, eight, nine games before Wright got let go. But I, I like to think, BK, that we've seen the bottom when it comes to the offensive so. line, and, and they're going to go up. Now, how up are they going to go? I'm not sure, but Chris Ballard better hope that they go up because they've got a whole lot of draft capital and money invested in that group. And if if this is just who Ryan Kelly is now, and if uh, you know Quentin Nelson is going to backtrack from an all-pro level, then that's a big problem. 
You know, you you paid Quentin Nelson to not only be a great player, you paid him to be a Hall of Fame caliber player, you know, the best guard in the league. And if he's not going to perform on that level, then that's a big issue for them. And even more so, your two biggest contracts, injuries, are going to continue being the storyline because Shaq Leonard on the other side. Mm-hmm. What's his back going to be like? So y- your two biggest contracts on either side of the ball, and I get Jonathan Taylor still has to get paid, but both of those guys, Nelton, Nelson and Leonard, instead of you're having Hall of Fame conversations, you're having can they even get on the field conversations. And then that leads into the ancillary conversations that are going to surround that, like, okay, we don't know what we're going to get from Shaq Leonard, so does that change how we approach Okirake and his free yeah. agency? I would love to have him back. He He's about as consistent as you're going to get. And I don't I'm not going to say at all positions, but man, you talk about linebackers and just playing hard every down. That guy deserves money from whoever's going to pay him. And I don't know if it's going to be here. I don't know if they can afford to do that. But that guy, I, I you know, when Kevin and I were doing the show uh, about a year and a half ago, we were doing our all training camp teams from August of uh, 2021. And I, I put Bobby O'Karake as my number one performer in Colts training camp that year. He he was that good. Mm-hmm. And he deserves it. no Ben Banigu. No Ben. No, no, <laughs> no. I did not get training on the Ben camp Banigou. hero. Ben training Banigou. camp. I'll tell you what. Training camp Ben Banigu might be one of the best players this league has ever seen. Derek Thomas, God rest his soul. LT. Like I mean, yeah. Ben Banigu, man. Training camp. That is that is one of the crazier stories too. Of like why? It, uh, I I don't know if we'll ever know. Clearly, the staff at some point stopped believing in him because they weren't even really giving him a chance anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I don't know if it's part of that or part Banigou. I, you know, who knows with the way that that goes. But it'll be interesting to see how they approach Akira K. I would love to see Paris Campbell back. I mean, if we're going to kind of venture into that, you know, free agency and, and next questions now that the Colts have their head coach because he proved that he could be healthy. And while I've given up on Paris Campbell ever being like the game-breaking, keep-you-up-at-night type player that he was potentially projected to be out of Ohio State, if Paris Campbell is kind of your gadget guy and your third receiver, I think you got a good team. you got a good – I think it's great to have that as a wrinkle in your offense, a, a guy with his skill set, because he could be really dangerous with the football whenever he touches it. It's just – you know, getting that consistency, I I don't know if you're still going to get that from Paris Campbell. Gadget guy gives me a little PTSD around here because we've heard for the last two and a half years, or until he was traded, that Naeem Hines was going to be a big part of the offense. And then every week you're kind of just sitting yeah, there like... Over and over again. Where Where is he? Mm-hmm. Where and I, Maybe Shane Steichen will be different about actually including guys that he says will be included, but I mean, how often did we... Naeem Hines had that two-touchdown game in Detroit where he was doing the backflips, and you're like, this guy, you, you pair this guy with JT? Yeah. Oh, my God. The, the Colts' backfield is going to be supreme. And then after that, really, things went away. So Gadget Guy gives scares me a little bit around here just, just based off the track record you. there. But no, I, I do... Great for Paris Campbell. And even more so, Paris Campbell maybe mentally finally got over that hurdle staying healthy for an entire year and when oh, you questionably i think he did yeah when you can do that as a guy and injuries have been your problem maybe there's no stopping him because whether whatever the sport i i see it every day on on the baseball field schultz and it, a, a guy mentally struggling that's the most dangerous injury of all especially mm-hmm. in that game same case for this game but when you pair that with injuries that's 
That's really spooky. I'm glad Paris Campbell got over that. Yeah, you're laying in bed and you're going through the Twitter mentions, and yeah. it's got to be not. You know, I know these guys are paid handsomely, right? Yeah. But it's not. We're all human, right? It's not easy to go through that and hear that you're made of glass or whatever. I've been critical of Paris Campbell. I think he admitted as much that that was a big mental hurdle for him, like with his Instagram posts and social and, and all of that. Um, I, I look at this roster, guys, and I still think while we're on the topic of hope that there are reasons to be optimistic about what they have. They have to get better at the positions that truly matter. I think there is a there's a difference between criticizing Chris Ballard for not being a good GM and criticizing Chris Ballard for not necessarily building his team the right way. I'm far more in the latter category. Like I don't think Chris Ballard is a bad general manager. I think what he's done blueprint rise doesn't win in today's NFL when your best the pillars of your team are a guard a right tackle a, a slot corner uh, a running a back yeah, yeah that that's not good enough to really contend I think you could be pretty good like that and the Colts have been pretty good in some of those seasons with those core pieces but I don't think you can win like the Chiefs win when you don't have game breakers at the positions that really matter but defensively we saw a good unit last year and offensively I still think that it needs help and you need to add more talent you always need more talent but Pittman and Alec Pierce I thought really represented himself well as a rookie if we're banking on the offensive line at least being a competent unit I think that helps a lot obviously the quarterback play is going to matter tight end room with Granson and Jelani Woods I think there's a lot to like especially with the latter and what his ceiling can be I find myself here, Brendan, I'm, I'm going to talk myself into a lot of things over the next six months, right, with the Colts while we're kind of, um, you know, breathing in the the hopium, if you will, <laughs> for this team in a, in a new era. I like but, that. But I do think that there are reasons to be happy about where the Colts could potentially be. Exiting a lot of doom and gloom from 2022 and turning the page here, I think ultimately that there's a reason to believe that the Colts could be competitive again in short order. I, I don't think this is going to be some like four-year rebuild. I, I don't. If it is a four-year rebuild, then um, this whole thing is a failure, and you're going to have to gas out the general manager now as well. You a uh, Shawshank Redemption fan? I mean, everybody's seen that movie a million times. Morgan right? Freeman. Yeah. Hope, hope's a dangerous thing, Andy. Exactly. Hope will drive a man insane. That's all I've. I feel like this whole town and the teams that we cover, it's all about hope, it's, it's, right? It'll drive because the city what, insane. You know, the Pacers are losing every night now, so what else is there but hope for what the future could be, or you know, any of the the obviously the two major pro teams, but even when you look at college basketball, of what you know, Indiana, the men's team could potentially be. The women are number two, so I guess you have more than just hope with them. I mean, they're really good, and I still think Purdue's going to be just fine when it comes to the tournament and all that. I don't think a couple of court-storming losses to good teams is going to necessarily take all the wind out of their sails. No, I mean, when you're number one and you lose on the road, you're you're getting you're getting stormed. You're getting stormed. That's an auto storm. That's how it is. Oh, yeah. autos, I love that. Yeah. I love that auto about storm. you. Love that about you, Derek <laughs> Schultz. Well, they had never beaten number one, right? Northwestern. Yeah. So, yeah. No, auto storm. As it should be. Derek Schultz, Brendan King, Jimmy Cook. Coming up next, Jimmy's got some bets for you. We're going to make some cash after this. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Oh, yeah. Shane Steichen, the new head coach of the Indianapolis Colts. I thought that was a very strong line, Derek Schultz. I loved it. I love the fact of uh, throwing to score points and 
running to win. I, I think in just in that quote, it encapsulated all of what both Jim Ursay and Chris Boward fell in love with. Because I think Ursay probably loves the gut feeling going on field. Like Ursay's an old school football guy, right? So he's going to I think trend to more old school football feelings. And that that's more of an old school, like trusting your gut on game day. Like that's more of an old school try to way to approach it. And then the other stuff is a little more new age, which I think probably Boward liked a little bit more and try to move on from the, the Jeff Saturday era. All right. It is Valentine's Day. If you're one of those people that needs a last minute gift, if you, if you need to go to Kroger to pick up some flowers late for the misses or the miss, Jimmy Cook is going to get you some extra cash. The Jay Cook Plays of the Day. This is me. All right. I'm not a f- athlete. This is my f- way. This is how I win. Just two plays on today's slate. Going to take Kansas to one of the money line at Oklahoma State in the college basketball ranks. Then switching to the NBA. Going to take the Suns to one of the money line against the Sacramento Kings. Hopefully you already have money for Valentine's Day because 7-2 <laughs> and two oh, on baby. the Super Bowl. We went with prop bets and normal bets across the board. 12-5 wow. and five last week. Plays on Twitter at the Jacob. Is that a baby? What yeah. Are, what are the two you missed on? Because everybody always remembers what they missed on. Hurts to score or pass two touchdowns. He only had one passing touchdown. And then the other one was Miles Sanders an anytime touchdown score. Gotcha. So maybe he'd get in the end zone. Still Didn't seven happen. out of nine. Man, I... That's sharp. That I got, includes the coin toss. We got tails, tails. baby. We got tails. <laughs> never fails. Tails never fails. Never. I got pretty PO'd because I had Boston Scott at plus 500 as an anytime touchdown score. He got tackled at the goal line twice. That's twice. Right. Yeah. Twice. Not once. Yeah. You got to you got to save the Boston Scott anytime tuds for the Giants games because <laughs> <laughs> I think he had like 3 in each of them as far as this year was concerned. Um are you a betting man actually first? I, I mean, I I dabble uh a little bit. It's it's actually funny because um I have now my my full-time job is with Purdue University and the last all staff meeting we had um, I wasn't aware of this, and, and luckily I, I hadn't infringed upon this, but I am not technically allowed to place any wagers. You know, on I figured that. Purdue. I figured that. Because I'm. Wait, just on Purdue them. or. Uh, just on Purdue, okay. according to like the we we had this whole like all staff presentation, and um, it jumped out to me, and I'm I'm glad that I hadn't because I I've I have wagered on Purdue in the past. Um, but not this season or I don't think the last couple of seasons, actually. I was more active in this, BK, when when it first came to Indiana. I was like, yes. hey, let the good times roll. Like uh, a couple of times a week. And I'm, I'm talking about like little $5 over-unders and, and some props and things like that. Nothing too serious. Yeah, same. You know, I'm not allowed to bet on any form of baseball. Oh, I believe that. Yeah, yeah. I can't even bet on. I can't yeah. even bet on big league baseball. What about like Korean league, like COVID you know, stuff? I, I did that during twenty. I did that during the pandemic, but I wasn't doing games at the time. So take that. There you go. Take that, Major League Baseball. <laughs> but no, I uh, no, I cannot bet on any form of baseball. I'm a rule follower when it when it comes to that. But. I try and be. I try and be. You guys are gonna. You know what? As two baseball guys in here with me, you guys are gonna love the pitch clock. It does wonders. Yeah, does wonders. It would be nice. It is. It's a little tedious to watch these. I mean, especially like, and Jimmy knows this: the Sunday night Red Sox Yankees game. It's always nine to seven, and it ends at like one thirty in the morning, and you're just like, oh my god! Like, come and, on. And depending man. on the result, it's a reevaluation of all your decisions to that yeah, night to that point. Why is it one in the morning? And I stayed up for that. Yeah. I just i I find myself 
becoming, and maybe this is part of me just being older and crotchety, I, I've just become increasingly defensive about baseball because it feels like the only time that... Oh, I'm a purist. Like, like shows like this or whatever else, the only time we're bringing up baseball is to criticize baseball, you know? And, right. and I, I still... I still love to baseball's got a lot of issues don't get me wrong but I still love to celebrate the things that I love about baseball. Oh, I, I if they ever go to robo umps I I'm retiring. I, I that's stupid. Oh boy, then maybe we shouldn't we only got about 10 minutes left in the show then maybe I, I I can't I can't do the robo umps. I am heavily pro. Really? Robo umps. I I can't do it. Yeah. I think you'll still find a way. I'm calling I, that I, I do t- I, I do t- <laughs> but I, I just I can't do it. But I will say we played six games this year under two hours with wow. the pitch clock. It's beautiful. Yeah. When you finish a when you finish a nine inning ball game and the sun's still shining in the middle of July, you're like, Whew, what are, what are we gonna do? I mean, it, the night do is young. To, do they have to wait longer for the fireworks shows up there? They do. Yeah. <laughs> yeah there's always a delay. Say. So they always anytime that happens, they send out like the t-shirt cannon, and then they wait 20 minutes, and then they, they it, let it, them It's roll. funny that you're with the South Bend Cubs because I, you know, I was born and raised back east, but my my folks being from South Bend, we'd go up to South Bend all the time. And the some when my grandparents were still living and all that, I had family and cousins up there, like Niles, Michigan, South Bend, or whatever. And we'd go to the old well South Bend White Sox, and then they became the South Bend Silverhawks. And we go to the, they called it the Cove. Do they still call it the Cove? And that's the nickname. Okay. We'd but. go all the time. And it was, you know, when you're, a, there's nothing better than a minor league baseball game when you're 7, 8, 10, 12 years old. It's the best. Or or when you're 21 and it's $2 beers on the Thursday. Well, Thursday's that day. too. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. <laughs> Get nice and sloppy and yell at those non-robo umps, right, for getting yeah, things exa- wrong. Yeah, that, exactly. See, that's that's exactly what it should be. <laughs> that's it. <laughs> I, I, I've been... We, we've all been there, right? You, you've all been like sloppy in the past a little bit. Um, I'm oh, happy to I, say yeah. I have never been sloppy at a minor league baseball game. Well, there are people that do that. And, oh, for uh, sure. See, the way it works is the broadcast booth is on the same level as the concourse. So I walk out of there on a Thursday and you see some creatures. Oh, I bet. Yeah. You know, so. And South Bend, it's kind of like a, you know. I love hard, South Bend. It's, it's a little bit of a hard-nosed town, right? They I, like to throw back and have a good time. Well, we were talking about it before the show. There's there's, the, Work there's, hard, play hard. there's campus and there's South Bend. There's two different things. No, that's completely true. But you know what I'm I, saying? I, I've always been, you know, speaking of things that I'm defensive about, I've always been defensive of South Bend because I, it I love has South a Bend. special place in my heart oh. because of my family being there and the ties there and my grandparents are buried. My sister went to St. Mary's. Nice. Um, my folks had a house on Angela, which was great for yeah. about 20 years and we'd walk over to Notre oh. Dame games and that was... Uh, Unfortunately, when we had that house, it was all of the years of the Davy Willingham Weiss era. So literally, I, I, think, I think they had it from 2000 to uh, 2012, I think is when they had that house. So My dad got his master's uh, at Notre Dame. He graduated in 07, so that was when I was 12, 13 years old. And um, it, it was during the Weiss era. But I, you know, I always thought as a, I, I was twelve. I always thought of South Bend as this magical place that's yeah. an hour and a half away from home. And I was like, oh, and then you know, South Bend's great, but it's, I, I'll always love it. But yeah, my folks sold it spring of twelve, and then okay. that fall they went to the championship game. So it's a running joke in our family. Yikes. that, You know, we were bad luck, and Notre Dame goes to the title. I, of course, they got stomped by Alabama at least, so you didn't have to worry about that as much. That's okay. It's gonna be a great year, boys. We're all we're all Indy fans in here. That's refreshing. That never happens. I, I have this weird thing where I work for Purdue. I'm an IU grad. I grew up a Notre Dame football fan, and I was a Butler basketball season ticket holder. So, so, I, so love when I, when I, say, I love you, Derek Schultz. When I, when I say I like all the teams, I genuinely root for all of the 
the college teams. I really do. I, I want the best for what's all of them. Well, good but. thing the Crossroads Classic's not a thing anymore. You probably are pretty conflicted. Oh, I wanted to make one of those like four chamber <laughs> half shirts, half jerseys, <laughs> and just get all of it on there. Like get a patch from each of the jerseys. This has been a lot of fun for me today, no, guys. Stay, stuff, thanks for man. letting me fill in. I know you, you guys are, are the ones that are usually kind of running the ship over here, so I appreciate being able to steal a couple of hours here in the big chair. No, we appreciate you, Schultze. Uh, 30 seconds before we go, just your last reflection on Shane Steichen for the day. Excited. Optimistic, hopeful. Let's turn the page and let's hopefully get the Colts stuck out of neutral and and slam this thing into gear with a, a new quarterback and a new head coach in 2023. Sounds good to me, my man. Schultz, thanks for stopping by. Always we, fun, guys. We appreciate Thank you. you. Derek Schultz, I'm Brendan King, Jimmy Cook. A great job, as always, on the ones and twos. John is next with James Adams. Tomorrow, we will be in. It will be Scott Agnes and myself, along with Jimmy, and then Jimmy... We'll be in the co-host chair on both Thursday and Friday. Thanks to all for joining. Shane Steichen, the new head coach of the Indianapolis Colts. Let's see what happens. John is next on 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan.